When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to Knife Talk. <laughs> this is the uh, this is our this is the knife talking show where we talk about knives. Uh, it's all in the title. But you ask us questions, we give advice, we talk about uh, all different aspects from making to the business end to everything in between, and sometimes some relationship stuff. Uh, so, <laughs> with no further ado, let's get to it. Jeff, what have you been up to this last week? <laughs> Sounds so cool. Uh, where do you begin? <laughs> I like that. I like the children of all ages, though. Some of them. Some of them. Some well, of them. You know, we got get back. In we got Charlie watch, listening. I almost said watching. Uh, Charlie. All right. Well. The, oh yeah, that's right. So it was a, this week. I gotta tell you what. Last. By the way, last week was great. Thank you once again to Jeremy from Simple Little Life for scaring the shit out of me and hopping on uh, <laughs> uh, to do the to do the episode. It was a great episode. A lot of fun and a lot of nice compliments. But since then, I've, it's been kind of bananas over here. I had a little hammer in um, with the Modern Forge guys, oh, nice. and Mareko came down, oh, and I? then the New Jersey. Yeah, you certainly did. Don't pretend you left all your shit here. I know. I still have to put it in the box and send it to you. Trust me, I know you're here. And then the New Jersey Steel Baron guys came, and um, that was fun. And Greg Sims and the local guys, and it was inc- pretty incredible. Long Island guys. I, I'm the only, the worst part about it was I couldn't invite it. My shop isn't big enough. I had about twenty people, and that was like more than. I can really handle, so it wasn't really open to the public, which I feel bad about. And there was a lot of guys I forgot to invite, and it, it was a lot of fun. And a lot of guys came from a long way away, and we had a really, really good time. And yeah. um, I think everyone had a good time, and we we uh, forged, and people started leaving, and there was room for forging. We did a little forging, we did a little eating, yeah. And then um, some of that food looked good. Oh some my god, very good, so good. It was, it was. A, I made a giant paella. And it was great, and I and we're gonna talk down the line when it comes to. I think we're gonna probably bring back where's the beef, because apparently the country of Spain has got a beef with me. So we'll go over that, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I, I and I and I'm gonna make a a, a very uh, big apology towards the end too in regards to that. So um, one thing's that, and then I got to tell you what Monday was crazy. I got a call from and I alluded to it last week. I got a call from um, 
I did. I had a meeting with the Culinary Institute of America, right. and they reached out because uh, the guy who's in charge of social media has been following me for actually a while before he got to the CIA, and he's been wanting to do things with a lot of local Hudson Valley guys, and he wanted to know if I wanted to be involved. Then when he found out my business partner Tony was a CIA graduate, that kind of propelled us into something uh, very special. So. In, I'm really excited. This is when I'm going to announce it. In Jul- in June, I'm going to take over this Culinary Institute of America's Instagram page for like two days. Wow. So I'm going to like, they, this might be the biggest mistake they've ever made, but <laughs> I'm going to take, I'm going to take complete advantage. I'm going to take complete advantage and I'm going to do some, uh, we're going to do some forging. We're going to do some knife making talk, knife maintenance. I'm going to take over their stories. I might do a live, which... I don't know if the guy. I don't know if they've noticed what I do, but we'll, we'll see. We'll. I'm gonna sneak it in, and we're gonna. I'm gonna take over the the the, the best culinary school in the United States. I'm gonna take over their Instagram page for for like two days. So sometime in June, I'll be. Uh, I'll be doing that, and you know. Let's not forget the 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 students are adults. They they're they are grown ups. You're, they're young grown-ups, but they're grown-ups. Oh, yeah. And, oh, no, no. I'm not going to like... And the, the whole kitchen culture is a lot of swear words, so I, I don't know. think you're, I, you look, fit I right jokes. in there. I, 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 I have to like... There there will be... I'm going to have to... I mean, I'm not an idiot. I, I, I like to... <laughs> I like to burn bridges to a certain degree, but I mean, like that Culinary Institute of America is, I've been actually working with them lately, the past couple of years, I've been donating knives to their uh, fundraisers and stuff like that. Yeah. So I have a good relationship with them and I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna like, you know, I ain't gonna do what I do on some podcasts where I, I'm not gonna totally burn the bridge. I'm gonna make it interesting and, you know, these guys need to know a couple <laughs> things about a couple things. Otherwise... Yeah. You know, otherwise they're going to just, you know, say the nonsense. I got a customer guys. who's so, actually a student there right now. I tell you what, best best culinary institutions in the United States and I'm going to I'm going to take over their Instagram page and horse shit will ensue. So, God what was help it? them. God help them. A horse shit's going to ensue. No, no, oh, man, they're going to be oh. fine. I, listen, you guys you guys think that I have like some sort of like Tourette's or something like that. I everything is very very calculated. I'm going to be fine. Everything is 100% every everything is 100% calculated. I ain't worried. Okay. Tony's not worried. I said to Tony beforehand I said, "Do you think he says they he said he said this might be either the best or worst decision they've ever made." So, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, what about you, Craig? You've been doing a bunch of traveling. I know you had a busy week. What's up? A lot of traveling, a lot of traveling. So I've seen the full circle of life this week. So we had a a new family member born. Um, we went to a wedding on Monday, and we bookended this week with a funeral yesterday, which is Friday. Okay. So we've seen the full circle of life. Yeah, wow. Um, and in between, there was a 17-hour drive from the UK back to France. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of getting over that, to be honest with you, because I, we... I drove right through the night so the babies could sleep. Um, and they did. They they Holy did their sense. normal sleeping schedule of sort of 12 hours through the night, and it was perfect. Wow, 12 um, hours but I've missed, I've missed a whole night. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's, it's t- taken a few days to sort of creep up th- those sleep hours. Um, but it's good. So I'm, I'm back in France. I'm back in the, back in the studio, and uh, I've had a few days now. I've been able to make stuff and just really get on with work. So sure. I've got 64 knives to heat treat this week. So I've been... Whoa. Yes. So the last two days, I've been getting everything prepped, ready for that. Um, Deburring and getting everything just 
all set. Um, and they're all stainless knives, so it's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a challenge. High tense. Um, yeah. Wow. So I mean, the difficulty I've always had with doing batches of stainless knives is getting them plate quenched, but then the plates getting too hot and all the rest of it. So you're gonna have to wait some time, and then you know your temperatures you're losing every time you open the door, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I've, I've built this new rig, which I which I'm quite pleased with. So it, it's just a standard sort of table vice with aluminium plates um, bolted to it, which is, I know a lot of people use. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got three more sets of plates. So what I'll do once I I quench one, I'll throw another plate, another set of plates on top of this plate, quench that one, then another set of plates on top of that one. So by the mm. time I've done. Th- Four quenches, I can then remove the plates, and that first plate is now cool again because these other plates have sort of taken some of that heat from it. Sure. So I can pretend. <laughs> Excuse me, pardon me. Sorry. Holy Ooh. shit! <laughs> I'm sorry, I sneezed. I was, I was, I was holding it in so hard, and I almost thought I was going to fart. <laughs> Sounds like a, no, you I need an exorcism stop. over there. Yeah. That was, you know, remember the Tourette's? Obviously, I have no yeah. control. I am fascinated by your how you're going to. That is a fantastic way. You're going to so swap out the plates. Go ahead. Well, not swap them out, but just add a new face each time. So what I've done, I've, I've tapped a piece of aluminium across the bottom of the plates, um, which creates like a ledge. So then I can just throw in more plates, and it'll sit on that ledge. Um, and I can do that four times, then start removing the plates and just keep going, keep going. It, n- nothing needs to stop me. Um, so, yeah, so that's going to be interesting to do this week. Um, by far the biggest heat treat I've ever done. Um, so that's a lot. That's going to be good. That's going to be good. What's your, what's I, your, what's your, what do you, when your mind, I'm just fascinated if you don't mind me asking, what's your schedule look like? I mean, how do you, how do you plan on, on doing, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you plan on doing how many in, per day? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do eight, eight at a time. Each sort of heat ramp is going to be eight eight knives. Mm. Um, so I've got a, a second oven, which I'll, I'll always have on, which they can then go straight into a temper. Perfect. That was um, going to be one of my questions, if you had a second heat treat oven. Yes, yeah. yeah. So otherwise that, w- that would be a pain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so just going, just going straight through. So the, the only problem I can foresee is having to open that second oven um, where they're tempering to keep adding knives. But I mean that you know that temperature isn't so critical because they're having a long soak anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping I'm hoping we should be good. Um, so yeah, so that's what I've been up to, sort of prepping already for this big week coming up. Um, I've I've just noticed something as well. Talking about the podcast, I've just looked on iTunes as I occasionally look to see if there's been any new reviews, that kind of thing. And we've hit the charts. We're in the we're in the top two hundred. <laughs> Ooh, are you um, kidding me? Of we what? are. We stormed in at number one hundred and sixty-two. <laughs> wow! Of what? In, in regards to what all genre? podcasts? No, the the food category. The food category. Oh. So there's, I mean, there's tens of thousands in that category, but we're we're up there. We're hun- number one hundred and sixty-two. Wow. Um, I'm not sure if that's a, an international thing or maybe a France thing, or I'm not sure, but um, certainly here in France, we're shown as one hundred and sixty-two at the moment. Which it is, must be all of. All of iTunes, any of all of the podcasts on iTunes. I'm assuming so. No. I'm ass- because I mean, you you don't set a territory where you're going to upload them. You know, they're, they're available right. worldwide. So, so I'm assuming so. So, yeah, that's really exciting. That's really good. That so, is really exciting. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's I want to. I want to be a little bit. I want to go against all the other maker podcasts. Is that bad that I said that? <laughs> go for it. Go for it. I want to go. I think we should be going up against those guys. I think we should. 
I don't. Th- I think that we. I think that we're. I think that as far as an entertaining podcast, I'm gonna just go out and say I never talk about this like this. I'm gonna say I think we're better than a lot of these maker podcasts. Mm. Is that bad that I say that? No, no, controversial. no. Controversial. That's very. I'm not yeah. that controversial. I mean, you know, I've heard some. They're not good. <laughs> so, you've you've been on most. <laughs> I've been on a couple. I've been on a couple. Some of them better than others. But that's fine. Congratulations. Listen, congratulations to you, Craig, because you do all the heavy lifting. No, not We're just here for an hour a week, you know, chiming in. An hour. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over two hours last week. That was the edited bit. That was what went live. That was over two (laughs) hours. But if we're going to beat these other podcasts, though, we need people to get in and at least give a review and a little comment because, you know, I think we get a lot of downloads as far as i understand but we only have a few reviews uh they're all very nice reviews um but we could definitely use more i think that that would really push us up take us to number one (laughs) definitely let's climb that chart so yeah if anybody's listening if you can jump on itunes and give us a review i know a lot of people well most people don't actually listen via itunes they listen via the website or spotify um but it does help jump on itunes give us that review it really will help us Thanks. All right, there you are. So, Mareko, how was your week? <laughs> My week. You're getting ready to move, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I think by the time this comes out, we're about three weeks out from getting the truck and loading up. And yeah, there's a lot to do before that, especially finishing knives. <laughs> um but uh yeah no it's been a good week Uh, as you mentioned already uh we're at your hammering uh thank you very much for being such a gracious gracious i can't talk and hospitable host best host you're you're an incredible host as as silly as you can be on the podcast you're a very good host uh very hospitable that paella was bonkers i can't wait to hear what the spanish have to say about it uh, but I don't give a shit because it was delicious. Wasn't good. Um, yeah, they weren't happy. They weren't happy with me. I want to give a shout out to Mr. Steve Pellegrino and his eight dry aged steaks. Those things were fucking crazy. They were oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. That was like the best bite of steak. And racer racks. Yeah, racer racks. Yeah, Eric. Eric showed up with and Steve Pellegrino. They both brought like mortgage payment steaks. <laughs> These things were like two and a half inches thick, dry aged, and and Steve is like, I, he is best dressed man a, in the business. Best dressed man in the business. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever had a better cooked steak than what Steve made. It was Steve bonkers. is like, and he was talking to me. I was like, all right, let's throw the steaks on. He goes, wait, wait, wait. They haven't tempered yet. He he knows all the like the lingo. I think this guy might have like worked at like Peter Peter Luger's or something like that. He <laughs> he was like, I mean, they were, they Big were perfect. Big steakhouse in New York, by the way. Oh, they were perfect. Yeah. The food was really good. Yeah, the food so was incredible. Continue, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah more, more yeah. events. There should be more uh knife making events with awesome food around in fact actually blade show coincides with the atlanta food and wine show they should just join forces that would be awesome but anyway also somebody on the um on the forum um in the uk they're having a a forum meetup as well oh nice Um, and he owns um a little forest and a bunch of us gonna go there and there's gonna be a big cookout that kind of thing so that's happening in september so forest he owns a forest, yes. I don't understand yes. what that is. Is that thousands of acres or like what does that mean? Owns a forest. I don't know. Don't know. He, he owns a, a woodland, uh, some forest. I, I don't know how much. That's, I don't know. Um, that sounds very but he's mystical. actually from my 
from my hometown back in back in back in Cardiff in the UK. Wow. Um, so if any any UK listeners are interested in in a, in a meetup, um, jump on the forum and it's quite visible on the forum. You can see you can see what's going on. Should be cool. Love it. Uh, but by the way, it's just been working on knives. I actually got another knife sent out uh, on Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember, but uh, that came together nicely. So that, if things are going smooth, I got a, another hormone. I got uh, a hormone blade coming up that uh, I got the handle glued on yesterday and let the, the epoxy cure overnight. I always like to let the epoxy cure overnight, even though a lot of them will set up in pretty short order. Um, mm-hmm. I just like letting them be get really solid uh, overnight before I start sculpting and shaping the handles. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, still working. We've been getting, uh, we've been getting some pricing for the calendars that uh, my wife and I have been working on. The uh, the artist artisans of steel uh, calendars, and uh, we're getting closer to launching those and trying to do some pre sales. Um, actually, if anybody, so we got all the shows covered, but if anybody has any uh, any hammering dates, like actual hammering dates, uh, I've been getting a lot of message, which is great. People saying, "Oh, this hammering is in this month, or this hammering's in this other month," but. I need actual dates. If you know the dates, please send me those. I would love to get those and get them on the calendar before I do the final print. Um, but other than that, uh, I think next week I've been I got that blacksmith knife I forged out actually in the second hot sauce hammer off video, and uh, I'm gonna put an edge on it. I'm gonna do some uh, Neil Kamimura style uh, <laughs> edge testing. I'm gonna cut some bottles and some rope and stuff and see what I can do with this thing, and uh, and then I think I'm gonna put it up for sale. Still trying to decide nice. if I'm going to auction it or actually sell 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 it. Um, I don't know how how to play that, but yeah, that's what that's what I've been up to this past week and uh, getting ready for the next week. But you also have a big announcement with with Blade Show and Neil Kamamura. Oh yeah, I totally forgot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't forget. Dude, this is a big news. This is a big deal. Yeah, this is yeah. a big deal. Okay, so. Uh, wait this... there, wait there, wait. This is this is a big news flash. This this needs a promo. Yeah. Okay. This is Mareko Malmasi reporting from underneath a blanket at Dragon's Beth Forge. <laughs> um, Good one right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's the all. That's the all in. That's the all in one bumper. We can use that for everything. <laughs> there you go. No quizzes, yeah, so, breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. So, uh, uh, what is it? Blade Show. Uh, every year they do a judging. They have a ju- judging portion of the show where uh, custom knife makers, table holders are encouraged to submit knives to be judged for certain awards like best Damascus, best folding knife, best new maker, best uh, Bowie, Hunter, so on and so forth. And um, and then they also do that for com- all the commercially manufactured brands, um, like the big brands like Spyderco and all those other guys. And um, But they've on the custom side, they've never had a chef's knife category. They've never had a best kitchen knife slash chef's knife category and this year is the uh they're doing it they added it to the roster of awards to be offered to um to the custom side and what they're doing which is pretty incredible is you normally it's only table holders that are uh allowed to submit uh, a blade to be judged but because this is the first year of the chef's knife category um they're allowing any any custom knife maker who's attending the show, whether they are holding a table or not, um, 
they're gonna be letting everybody submit uh, a chef's knife um, if if they choose to. Uh, there are some really, I mean, table holder wise already, there are a lot of really incredible chef's knife makers. Um, but I think a lot of people are really excited about it. And Neil and Neil Kamimura and myself are going to be rolling around blade show, talking to the various chef's knife makers, um, and just talking about what this means for them, talk to them about their knife making, you know, why do they make chef's knives? What is it about their style that makes them stand out? I'll, like, you know, we'll figure it out. But just trying to get to know these different people who specialize in kitchen knives. And, and you know, I would be remiss to not mention Bob Kramer, who is basically the godfather of the custom chef's knife in the United States and possibly around the world. Really setting the ground, the groundwork for all of us who are making chef's knives now. Um, it's because of him and everything that he did, you know, over a decade ago. He's been doing chef's knives. So I think he got his master smith in 2000, or sorry, not 2000, in 97. So in wow. 1997, he was making chef's knives and submitting those for his master smith test. And he basically was like the first guy doing that. And definitely, you know, I think there are a lot of there were probably other knife makers who were making chef's knives, but Bob was really the first one who specialized and was very focused on chef's knives. And again, he if you don't if you somehow do not know who Bob Kramer is, look up Bob Kramer and go to KramerKnives.com. Check him out. Um, yeah, he's the man. But yeah, and on you the can podcast, listen to his interview on the podcast too. Yeah, he's oh, an yeah, alumni yeah, yeah. of Knife Talk. That's right. I did hear that interview. Go back and listen to the archives uh, and uh, get that in there. But, yeah. But, yeah, the the new Chef's Knife category is really cool. I think it's really – it's a long time coming. I think it's really interesting how, um, you know, Chef's Knife – without pontificating on this too much. You know, Chef's – cooking knives in general, kitchen knives, Chef's Knife, cooking knives, they're part of our everyday life. And because they're so ubiquitous to our everyday life, I think they're often overlooked. And people are more gravitate more to like Japanese swords or Bowie knives or Viking swords or all these things that basically you almost never use. And because there's more mysticism around them. But realistically, a cooking knife is used in almost every house around the world every day of the year. It is one of the most important tools that we have in our everyday life. And I think it's great that it's finally getting some attention on kind of like the professional stage in the United States. uh, Especially through the Blade Show, recognizing uh, it through the awards. So, yeah, it's big, big things. It's pretty cool. Talking about Bowie knives, who invented the Bowie knife? Shit, I don't remember his name. James Bowie's brother. Reason Bowie. Reason. (laughs) Reason. Reason? I'm still licking my wounds from that last week. Still licking my wounds. Um, I don't understand why you're licking your wounds. (laughs) You guys, and I'm going to say this with peace and love, you both got all the questions wrong. Well, I got to say, I think Craig and I actually did a good job throwing the contest of, what? So, of throwing the contest so you could win and look like a jerk <laughs> all right yeah there you go my man also uh, we was... attempted the, the answers where you you just kept quiet you had one yeah. right then you just kept quiet well, all you could I hear mean, was you laughing you guys, in the background you guys were buzzing in as quickly as possible to give the wrong answer i could see <laughs> so you're just know, relaxing I mean, in your truck i could drinking I coffee couldn't, I couldn't the eating a donut enough. You didn't even realize <laughs> questions being asked. <laughs> you couldn't. You could not. You could not have buzzed in with the wrong answer fast enough. I mean, it was like shocking. That's why I couldn't stop laughing because it was like number one. It was funny because 
every time every time Jeremy asked a question, all of a sudden you could tell he was getting nervous. Like, oh god, I think Jeff's gonna win. It's gonna be more controversial. And then he kept on. Well, you know, you could tell that he wanted you guys to like win, which is fine. It's like I said, it's funnier if I lose. He overestimated our, our abilities. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, he was asking these questions. And I was like, oh man. I tell you what, if you listen to all the quizzes we've ever done, none of us are like, none of us are going on Jeopardy. That's for sure. Because <laughs> we, we've gotten them, we've got, so oh, you didn't, it's always, the quiz master's always like, oh, I fucked up on this one. These guys, these guys aren't getting anything. Yeah. But the last one, yeah, I got one right. We got one on the board. It was not, uh, was not a moment of uh, I don't know. It was a moment of celebration. <laughs> no glory and no glory in that win. Yeah. So you know your own wounds to lick. I, I, I had nothing to do with that. You know what? I honestly believe I didn't have to answer one question to win. I could have just it's sit true. back. You're right. I just could have sit back we both and get finished my mouth on minus shot. points myself. I, I didn't even have to. I didn't even have to hit that buzzer one time to win that thing. <laughs> so. Oh. You know, maybe we'll have to do it again, but somebody's got to give us some like, I, real I easy you, questions. Though, shouting out a bad answer or the definitely wrong answer <laughs> is way funnier than dead air. Yeah, <laughs> damn right. I, look, I, I, you got that right. You got that right, but you can't. You can't have it both ways. It's either you know, Jeff screwed me, or you know, whatever. <laughs> it was I, I fun. Think, I think that's the fun, quiz though. is done for a while now. We we may return to them in in the distant future. Um, but yeah, I'm mad enough to concede that Jeff did or win. It, Jeff or did win, fair be, and square. Maybe the next one could be race to the bottom. Like who can who can <laughs> ring in with the wrong, more wrong answers? Maybe we should be going for. <laughs> yeah. Because then all of a sudden now you got a competition. No, we just got to remove the jeopardy aspect, where you when you get the question wrong, a point's taken away. That way we only just go positive. <laughs> it's not so hard. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's, a, that's a true handicap right there. That's the you way. spit it all out. No, Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. So this week, I've got a, a new grinder arriving, and I cannot Ooh. wait. I've got all this heat treating to do, and I can have plenty of grinding to do after that. So... I've got a new grinder from Clarix Metalworks. Um, they're the, one of our new sponsors. Um, we've managed to get a deal with them. So any listener, you can go online and take a look at the stuff they've got. I mean, their BG Pro V2 grinder is, the, is their high-end grinder. If you use the code KNIFETALK5, you're going to get 5% off. And these things are amazing. They're, they're all built there in their European factory. Uh, they all come with a VFD. There's three different configurations of motor. They this fully articulating tool rest. It's it's just incredible. It can be horizontal. It can be vertical. It can be anywhere. Anywhere. The controls are on the base. There's even a little tool tray in there for hiding your little little wheels. They come with an extra plug socket on the base, so you can plug in a light or dust collection. Just really really nice choice of colors. It's got everything. It's got everything. So mine has already shipped. Um, I know it's in France. Um, I think the old guy next door may already have it because it hasn't arrived at my door yet. But um, it's it's due any day, so I can't wait. I can't wait. So I've got the, the V2 Pro. Um, I've got the, the rotary platen as well, which I think is going to really help out, and the small wheel kit. Um, I just can't wait. So I'm going to put up a, an unboxing video with some videos of me using it and that kind of thing. But I think if you're looking for a grinder, um, whether you're – European based or even in the in the states because I know they're shipping over there very very cost effectively. Um, take a look at them. So it's it's clarixmetalworks.com. And as I say, if you're making an order, make sure to use the promo code KNIFETALK5 to get that discount. I think we're ready for the show. Are we ready? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> All right, this is Hey Man, Can I Ask You a Question? This is an opportunity for you as the listener to get involved with the show. So what the what we do is, is we have an Instagram page called Knife Talk Podcast, and once a week we'll say, All right, DM us your question that you have, and it can really be about anything. Um, it's usually knife related, but you know, sometimes we get a little bit of fooling around, which we like to. I'm actually going to take advantage of, hey man, can I ask you a question and go directly into one of my questions. This past week, I broke a knife. And why I broke the knife was I was heat treating a piece of 1084 steel. And I noticed when I was finishing it that there was a lot of, there was a lot of auto hormone. And what I wanted to talk to you about, Mareko, especially, mm. is what is auto hormone? And what are the reasons why we got it? So the reason why I broke it is I ended up spending a lot of time on the phone with uh, uh, our friend uh, Jonathan Porter of Doghouse Fortress. Was, he was super helpful to me. And I ended up, I knew it was too thin. And he says, well, why don't you see what happens? Why don't you reheat treat it again? And I reheat treat it again. And when I normalized it and went wibble wobble. And then when I tried to flex it a little bit, it snapped. Yeah. Problem solved. But I think that probably a lot of knife makers probably fall into the same problem of auto hormones. And it's not what you want. And I thought maybe you could kind of talk about auto hormones. Uh, so, as I understand, an, <clears throat> excuse me, an auto hormone essentially is um, it, it happens often when you are heat treating the whole blade and not just edge quenching. And what's happening is uh, part of it could be just the cross-sectional dimension. So the difference in thickness at the spine versus the thickness at the edge. And there might be too much thermal mass as you're quenching the blade so the edge gets nice and hard, but the spine doesn't simply because of how thick it is. Also, right. uh, the medium in which you are quenching in, um, it, if it's too hot, or it's not, I guess, inside its uh, ideal temperature range a lot of them usually want to be around 100 degrees sometimes up to 120 degrees if uh, depending on the oil to work most optimally um, but if it's outside of that range especially if it's on the hotter side the thinner cross section will definitely cool fast enough um, even though it's uh, the oil is a little on the hotter side uh, but that thicker material might not get fully hardened because it it just isn't a, it doesn't have an opportunity to, to cool down fast enough um, because that excess heat in the oil is actually helping the blade stay a little bit hotter than i uh than desired um also it could come down to the actual chemistry of the steel so on a lot of steels um th they when they're made and you know there are a lot of different manufacturers or uh you know businesses making these steels and so they have kind of a spec sheet and a range in which uh you know the different elements the alloying elements the carbon the manganese uh you know all any kind of nickel or uh you know vanadium or something that might be in the steel they all have kind of a range in which they they want the steel to land in uh, or all those different elements to land in to be considered that particular steel, and make, uh, you know 1084 is no exception, and it has uh, especially when it comes to the hardenability, manganese is going to be a big player in that, and it has a range of anywhere from 0 0.059 to 0 0.088 manganese, and that 
that will make a big difference in its hardenability. Meaning it could, it could be either very shallow hardening, which means you could potentially, it could potentially take a hormone like a, like 1095 or W2. Or if it has that higher value, then it's probably, it's, it probably will never take a hormone because it actually takes longer to actually kick over to martensite. And, um, and so you potentially might actually have a, a, a shallow hardening 1084, which I actually, I have some myself. I found that out accidentally because I was, I wasn't sure what I had. I was just, it was just sold. This one inch stock was sold to me at a, at the Eugene show like six years ago. Um, and the guy was like, yeah, it's 1084. And I was like, all right, great. And but I, I did some experimenting to see if it could take a hormone or not because I was always told that it can't take a hormone. But the 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 version I have, the chunk that I have, can definitely take a hormone. And it's because it. I, I'm going to assume I haven't had it chemically tested or had a chemical analysis done in the steel. But it can take a hormone because it has. it's on the lower end of that manganese range, which allows it to be shallow hardening steel. And... Um, and take a hormone. And if it is a shallow hardening seal, that also means that it has a shorter range within which to quench. So if you're quenching and thinking that it's kind of a more standard, um, 1084 with a kind of maybe a higher manganese, then, but it actually has a lower manganese content. Again, when you go to quench the, the edge material is going to get nice and hard, but Maybe that that thickness, just that dimensional thickness at the spine, is so, thick enough so that it's holding that heat long enough that it doesn't harden. And so, that those would be some of my questions to figure out: one, what's the chemistry, the actual chemistry of that steel? Two, you know, what was the working temp of that oil that you were working? What kind of oil were you quenching in? Uh, I I know that you have Parks Fifty, so I think that would be great, especially for a shallow hardening steel. So. Based off that, knowing what oil you have and knowing that its its operation temperature is between, uh, I think it's like 50 to 110 degrees is its optimal range to be working within. I'm sure your shop was plenty warm to be quenching the blade. So my guess is that you have 1084 that has a lower manganese content, which means it's a shallow hardening steel. Therefore, you have a very, very, very small window within which to quench that properly. Otherwise, um, it's... Only only a portion of the blade is going to get hard, while the the other part, typically along the spine, is going to retain heat and and not get hard, and that will trans or create your auto hormone. Now, a comprehensive answer. That's a that's a good one, dude. And I tell you what, you really CSI that situation a hundred percent, and and uh, I applaud you for it. I what I didn't I what I have been doing because sometimes I'm a chicken is I do leave the spine a little bit on the thicker side. So sure. that falls into exactly what you were saying. Um and you know, it's one of those things it's like it gets that splotchy thing that you can't get away from, you know, and and yeah. um I actually ended up uh when I was talking to Jonathan Porter, he was suggesting that the 10 series generally can be on the uh shallow uh hardening you know, shallow hardening um, situation, shallow yeah. quenching situation. So, yeah. um, what I ended up doing was, is I used a piece of fifty two one hundred, and I just went with a different uh, my heat treatment uh, different, and I just redid it, and I, I I might be switching over to fifty two one hundred in general. 
Um, mm. I also, maybe you can explain this. I also was, uh, Jonathan said I should, I should suggest getting Parks AAA. And I was sure. talking to a couple people. Do you know, can you just go over the, the difference between Parks 50 and Parks AAA? If you know. Uh- so they're just they're just different type of oils you know you got your even just for your your vehicle you have you know five weight 10 weight 20 weight oils they're different oils they're different viscosities and so because of the varying viscosity they they act differently so when you quench they they have basically different amount of time that they'll properly quench your steel within and for for 50 to 100 if you're going to go for 50 to 100 50 to 100 is a deeper hardening steel and uh the parks AAA would actually be probably more suitable for that um yeah it's on the way yeah that's what i'm going to be doing that's what i'm swapping out i got both i got a five gallon bucket of both of them and uh yeah and I use I use it for depend just depends on the steel, but most of the stuff I'm doing is ten series or shallow hardening stuff, or I guess more shallow end of the spectrum hardening stuff. And so I'm almost always using the Parks Fifty myself. Mm-hmm. You going back mm-hmm. to using ten eighty four, where yeah. you said maybe the um, that auto hammer could be because. Um, it hasn't been heated, you know, completely um, evenly throughout. Would would a longer soak help there? Or what what is the danger of a longer soak too? It depends on what temperature you're soaking at. If you're soaking right at maybe like fifteen hundred, um, you, you don't you don't want to soak it for too long because once it fully transforms into austenite the uh the grain starts growing exponentially and so especially with like w2 which has a really high carbon content but is a very shallow hardening steel and we kind of touched on this uh you know last few weeks talking about hormones is that a, a technique that a lot of a lot of makers will do is they'll they'll uh, they'll bring the steel up to about 1425, 1450, which is just kind of barely inside of uh, the austenitic range for uh, for high carbon steels, and but then they'll let it soak for a long time because and it it uh, because it's such a high carbon steel, it takes longer for it to get f- to the fully austenitic uh, or to a fully austenitic state. And so you have a little bit of buffer room in there to make sure that everything is coming up evenly and consistently throughout the steel so that when you finally pull it out after, you know, maybe a 10, 15, sometimes people do 20-minute soaks um, because at that lower temperature, it just takes longer. It'll eventually transition all the way over completely into austenite. It just takes longer at lower temperatures, um, anywhere from, you know, 1375 and and up uh, until you hit about 1500. 1550 and so so you yeah you know going uh you can harden from a lower temperature it's it's it takes more time and you have to have kind of a more controlled environment that you're working with especially with the oil and make sure that oil's close you know i've seen people (laughs) quench where they pull the knife out of the oven and then they have like five or six steps before they get to the quench pot you know my my quenching oil is right underneath the oven so i'm just like out of the oven, straight into the oil. And, you know, uh, actually, Greg Sims has got some great videos on his Instagram where he's quenching, like, sword blades and stuff like that. And he's just, like, he's very fluid, straight out of the heat, straight into the water, and then he finishes in oil um, for his 
for his, especially for his like katanas and stuff like that, wakazashi's, his W2 blades. But yeah. So. He quenched a, a Tonto in my shop and there was a video of it. And it was like he was very fluid in his moment. He just like into the water and then he counted a couple minutes and seconds and then into the oil. It was very, yeah. uh, he, uh, he, yeah, that's why he, he's one of the best. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Well, Professor Momasi, that was outstanding. <laughs> Thanks for asking you, me the crazy question. I, dude, that was a, <laughs> you, 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 yeah, you, 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 uh, I think you might have, uh, filled our quota for, uh, seriousness. That was, uh, that was <laughs> a good right. one. Now Once again, man, off. that was awesome. Yeah. So, so should we go on to the next question or any other things we want to point out or? Uh, unless you guys have anything else, but no, I'm ready to move All on right. to the next one. Let's head it. Let's hit it. All right. This next one is from at Broad River Knives. He says, hey, cutie, can I ask you a question? When using wood for handles, how do you finish them? When going for a high gloss finish, how do you keep it off the steel on a full tang? So I think he's talking about the, yeah, the, like the bolster area, I assume. How, how do you finish that rather than finishing the blade, like on your buff or wherever it may, may be? Or um, the spine, or like, you know, the spine of the full tang knife. If you put stuff on, on the whole knife, mm. you're going to have a, you're going to have a strip of what, you're going to have a, a difference between the, uh, like if you mm. use polyurethane or something like that, God forbid, uh. you're going to have like a, like a edge between yeah. your. Got you. I mean. What, what, with regards to the bolster area, always do that before attaching your handles anyway. So once you've drilled your holes and you, you, you can bolt your handles together or pins, whatever you may use, and you can finish off that, that area there. So make sure that's all finished and clean. So when you are putting it onto your blade, you know you don't have to touch that again so much. There's no danger of spilling off onto the blade. Oh, I see. You're talking um, about the front of the bolsters, right? I, th- I think that's what he's talking about, is it? Possibly. I don't know. He, I like think say, he just wants to know about a high-gloss finish and how do you keep it off the tank. Okay. Um, I don't I'm, know. I, I, mean, I polished me, my tank, too, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, w- I would, too. I mean, for myself, especially when I was working for Bob, you know, we did all full-tank construction blades. And, um, and, and I think the biggest key was just working with nice, good, stabilized wood that's been taken to a nice high finish. And you hit it on the buffer, and you can just buff it all out, and it really all has a really nice, um, pretty high-gloss finish. I would say, most recently, the biggest thing that's changed for me is then hitting it with uh, this classic wax. Um, The only purveyor I've been able to find in the United States, it's a British product, actually, um, from the UK. But the only purveyor I've found in in the United States is actually from Auburn, Maine, where the New England School of Metalwork is. Uh, You can find them on eBay. But the the brand is called Flag, and uh, the the wax is their classic wax. They have a bunch of different products, but the classic wax is what I've been using, the clear stuff. And you hit that with just the sparest little dab and spread it around. Buff it in, buff it, hand buff it in with just a you know piece of paper towel, and it's mind-boggling how high of a finish it it takes, and how durable that finish is, and also how easy it is to touch up or add. You know, you can do actually do multiple coats if you really want to go for a really nice high gloss finish. That I, I would suggest finishing with that classic wax, and um, and then at that point, like, it doesn't matter if it gets, it's wax. Like, it doesn't matter if it gets on the tang. It's not going to leave any weird, like, discoloration or some sort of boundary line uh, between, like, the handle area and out on the sp- spine of the blade. Um, 
that would be my biggest suggestion. You got me into that classic wax, and you got. I was quiet about it for a long time. Mm. I ended up. I thought it was so good. I had to buy two tubs of it because it is hard to get in the United States. Yeah. And then I and it was like mind blowing. And then I spilled the beans, and then that guy's eBay blew up. I, I don't know if there's any classic wax in Auburn made anymore. Like, what happened? All of a sudden, we're selling this bullshit wax nobody ever wanted. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we kept it quiet, and, and that stuff is hard to find, and it's really, really good. It's awesome. It's, a, it's got a blue can, white white and blue with red, and there's a yeah. uh, there's a Union Jack on it. It is I, it is stunningly easy to use. Well, so. and what's, what continuously blows me away is how little you need. Like you would think that yeah. you have to just lube a ton on. You need it's actually detrimental to put a ton on. You want to just use the slightest little bit and 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 add more. You don't want to you don't want to think about it in the way of like coating the whole handle all at once. You want to just work a little area and then dab dab the wax, work another little area, and it only takes a couple minutes. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, sploob your handle. He's sploobing the handle. <laughs> And it, it takes a surprising little, very little, and so one can potentially could last you a really, really long time. Like for years. me, a year. For me, a year. For me, a year. Oh, only a year. I'm, oh, I uh, bloob it on. You're <laughs> I, mad. I don't. You're I don't. Mad, I don't man. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible about it. I, I bloob it on. I, I'm actually. I'm. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm circling the drain on the first can, and I refuse to open that second can for a long, long time. Dude, I got a little bit too. Uh, if you just do the dabs, it only takes like two minutes to to you're hand right. buff the whole fin- hand buff You're the right. Whole thing. You're and right. You're and I actually built. I, I built a buffer too, and now I'm like oh, buffing everything. I'm yeah. buffing everything these days. You know what I'm buffing? I'm buffing the edges of my Kydex. Oh man, I am buffing. I, that buffer's <laughs> getting more use, and I, I I love it. That's awesome. Let's go on to the next one. Larami or Larami Jackson Laramie. on Instagram has asked, "What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow?" <laughs> you is know that some sort does? of? No, is that some sort of joke? Who knows? Who it's, knows? It's, what is that? What is that? Wait, 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 Craig! You don't know what that's from? No, no. it's a Monty Python reference. I've never got into that. I've just never. Holy I shit! Don't know. All right, I'm off the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it took that's all it took after all I've said for the past few months and all of a sudden one dopey uh, Monty Python and you're out alright well, I think I watched them I was too young when I watched them and I didn't appreciate them maybe I need to go back and maybe gotta, that would help you gotta go well, back again I gotta tell you, somehow I ended up watching The Life of Brian when I was very young, and I saw a little penis on the, the first time I saw a penis on a movie I was like, ah, this ain't for me this shit ain't for me. I was like, what the fuck am I want? I was like, ty- I was a little kid. I was just like, why is that guy walking around with his dick out? I don't need that in my life. Well, and you that, should go watch not- Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You're probably like that Castle Anthrax portion Monty, of the movie. I, you know what? I watched it. I watched it. I was like, all right, they got it. And, you know, I'm like, look, I, I, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, I liked it when Terry Gilliam did Time Bandits. That's what I liked. Mm. Time Bandits was my favorite movie growing up, but that's not my... All right, let's go on to the next one. Ugh. Go ahead, Crego. The Bike Shop 412 has asked again on Instagram, Hey man, can I ask you a question? I got a call this morning from a friend who I made, who made a 1095 Santoku-style kitchen knife for. He was explaining to me how he was cutting a pineapple, 
probably for pizza, and then proceeded <laughs> yeah. to start cutting a banana. He noticed some black slime on the banana, which you both agreed was likely some oxidisation. However, he also mentioned something strange. Apparently the blade was emitting an odd smell. Now, this blade was quenched in canola oil and oiled with a food-safe mineral oil. So he's curious what could be the cause of the smell and if perhaps there is something that can be done, perhaps a forced patina um, that would stop this from happening. And he's given us some additional details. So that the blade started at 8-inch flat 1095 bar stock. He treated in a mini forge with map gas and the blade was finished sanded to 220 with a directional satin. This is a lot of detail. Directional oh, satin finish. <laughs> yeah. There's no polishing compound uh, used at all, um, but he may have used some WD-40 during the hand sanding process. Mm. So he's wondering what the, first of all, that slime was the oxidization um, and what the smell would have been. Yeah, got that banana slime. That boy yeah, got that got banana that. slime going on. Uh, so pineapples are very, very acidic food. And, um, and they will start oxidizing your material your high carbon steel blade um it, unless it's already has a built up patina it'll start basically building up that patina in ex- with that exposure to the acid and uh in air and yeah so it's just coming off the blade i mean it's just the it's just the blade reacting to the acidic food um sometimes there can be a funky smell uh i i mean i've never really experienced myself but i have heard that um, but I think if that's the issue, just wash the damn thing and dry it off. But yeah. in regards to building up a patina, you can force a patina for sure. There are lots of recipes out there using hot vinegar or mustard or whatever. Um, or you can just let it build up on your blade naturally by cutting and preparing acidic foods or just using it in general without letting it going so far as to rust or anything like that. Cause once it starts rusting, it's a big problem. That's a problem. But, uh, yeah, I, I just let the patina build up naturally from the, just, just from yeah. the natural use or the, the standard normal use of a knife. Uh, I just mm. am careful with, especially with the carbon when it's first, when it's brand new basically, and it has, doesn't have a patina on it to be sure to keep it clean and dry and initially and once you build that patina up though it's it's astonishing how non-reactive it becomes even after like a month of use um so but if you want to force one force one it'll help yeah. basically it'll help uh you know speed up that process and you can kind of control the, you can control the aesthetic of it you can make it look all fancy and stuff yeah you just don't want you don't he don't like that boy don't like his the smell of the banana slime. He doesn't like fine. the banana slime. You don't, don't, don't like that smell. Fine. But I think if it's it's a fresh blade, a fresh uh, high-carbon steel blade, um, you know, going straight into pineapples, that kind of thing, it, it, it's going to. It's going to darken very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so as much as you wouldn't want to say to a customer, you know, break it in easily, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit about educating the customer, really, saying that Absolutely. you're going to get a patina and, you know, roll with it. That's, that's the beauty yeah. of it. Well, and Craig, um, you got those videos, right? Yeah, so I've got a video on my... On my those banana uh, slime videos? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get that banana slime. <laughs> on YouTube, where I, I tested <laughs> blades with various substances. Banana slime wasn't one of them. Um, but just oh. to see how the patina develops. And I've also got a knife care video on my website, on shopknives.com. Um, and I send a lot of new customers to that video because it just explains to them about a patina and how a patina will develop. 
and just I think just embrace it. It's what it's going to be what makes that knife in, individual to you. Um, but yeah, if it's if you're using it from fresh, you are going to get some. Some gunk yucks. on your banana. You're gonna exactly. get some gunk on your banana. Exactly. That's a, uh, he threw us. He threw me for a loop when he's talking about the bad smelling gunk on his banana. I hear you. Are we done with this? Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. All right. Well, this one's directed to me. Ian McCarthy asks, "What's Jeff's paella recipe?" Well, Jeff's paella recipe is different from Spain's paella recipe because that's what I've been told. <laughs> So the key, all right. So let me just go a little bit into pie. It won't go, won't go to full blast. But the concept behind it is, they used to in Valencia. Just all you Spanish guys, just hold, just relax. They used to, they used to make for the farmers. They used to make like almost like a family meal, and they'd have these big plow shears and plates and make a giant plate of a pan of paella for all the workers in the farm and then they would use the specific type of rice there's two types of rice there's bomba rice and there's calasparra rice those are both made uh grown in valencia by this particular river they're very it's a it's a short grain rice different than um arborio rice it, it holds a lot more actually it cooks it up it cooks with a lot more water to rice and they would put whatever they had in valencia they were known for this rabbits and the snails and the little green beans and it's the the, and i'm just going to make it very this is going to be very easy so you you're trying to create a you're trying to create a big plate a big pan um and then you have a sofrito which is uh uh fried onions and tomatoes into a very dense concentrated paste you cook up a little bit of meat then you put in your rice, you toast up the rice, and then you give it a flavorful stock that's going to create your foundation. Usually with our bor- with uh, Calisbar Bamba rice, it's three to one st- or four to one uh, stock to rice, which is more than normal rice. And then you let it cook ten minutes. Then you bring the de- bring the temperature down ten minutes, and then you throw your shit on top, and then you pull it off the fire, and then you let it you know rest for te- for five or ten minutes, and then you eat it. That's it. You, that's it. That's the that's the history of paella. So, what's your recipe? Are you using chicken? I, are you using mussels? I, what, what's... I, you know, I, I I go off. I I try to make. You know, I the more I read about paella, when I first started making it, and this isn't the Spanish are like, no, 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 you're not making paella. You're making rice with shit in it, and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You might be right, but you here in the United States, nobody knows about that stuff. These guys on the on the at, at the hammer and were waiting for hot dogs and hamburgers. I coughed up. You know, a giant two-foot paella pan, and we ate some paella. It but it's phenomenal. really, that's... It, I, I tried to focus on a very flavorful, rich stock, and I was using... I was roasting bones the night before, and I was... And I and actually, I do it differently because one of the things I despise is if you're eating paella at a party, you don't want to have to hold the drink in one hand, hold a plate in the other, and have to try to wrangle open a muscle. So I usually make the stock out of the muscles the night before, and then I'll break off one of the shells... The empty shell, so then I can keep that. Ref- those those are all cooked 100. percent You don't have to worry about opening them up. And then at the last 10 minutes, I throw them on top like tombstones. And nobody does that because I can fit more mussels in it. But uh, I like you know mussels. It's it's really it is an abomination because it should be one flavor. And um, I did get some people slipped into my DMs. Uh, a listener to a show, our show. Uh, his name is unfortunately Retard Graham. Uh, he, re- he reached out to me and told me that I, at one time I'd put chorizo in my in my 
in my paella, and he says that is like the pineapple of pineapple pizza. He says it was an, you know, basically said it was an abomination. And my response to him <laughs> was with with all due respect, I appreciate your support, but I can't take culinary advice from a guy who's handle is retard gram so you'll have to excuse me i'm gonna disregard everything you say however i didn't put chorizo in my, my paella and i got a lot of that so you know it, the, the most important thing is i think is to keep it simple there are some good a lot of great videos online about making paella i ended up getting a small paella pan the the hardest part is it's the it's the figuring out your 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 volume because each pan has a very specific amount of you know, wait, you don't want to go over the top. <clears throat> Look, it, we could do, we're not doing paella talk today. The answer is, is, you know, talk about it some other, I mean, I, go on the, go online. There's a million guys, but whatever you do, don't talk to the Spanish because they don't want to hear about it. Crispy bottom. You need a crispy bottom. Yeah, that, yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty, cl- that's right. Actually, that's right. It, it's called the socarat. And basically after the, 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 all the rice is absorbed, all the flavorful stock and everything's, you know, everything's opened up and cooked and crispy or nice and cooked. You, what you want to do is you want to crank up the heat and kind of turn it around and you want to burn the bottom a little bit, not really burn the bottom, but toast the bottom. So all the gluck on the bottom gets a little bit crispy. So when you get into it, you get this kind of like sludgy flavorful shit on the bottom. It's delicious. That's a, that's a, that's a Jack Papan they- expression. That's what he says. That's what they say at the Culinary Institute of America. You want to make sure there's a nice layer of shit on the bottom. <laughs> you got some gunk on your banana and have a little shit on the bottom. No problem. Let's head back to knives. Morocco, do you want to take the Go next ahead. one? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, la, 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 la. Triple Blade Works. He says, hey, man, can I ask you a question? Uh, do you have some sort of spreadsheet or know of a public one that will help knife makers estimate the cost of making knives uh, so it can all be broken down? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, to, to me, it's not about the parts. The parts are cheap. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the work involved and the skill exactly. involved, which, you know, <clears throat> taking that into account for, for pricing your knives, that's where the huge variable is. But the actual, the bits that you need, you know, the, the steel, your bolts, your pins, it's, it's, it's minimal. It's minimal. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the efficiency of your labor. That's really where it's, it, and, the, and look, triple blades works. You got to do a little bit of work here. I mean, come on, man. You, you, you can't, is there, yeah, the answer is yes. You have your parts and your labor, and then you charge. So there's no, there's no spreadsheet. Everyone's different. There's also your overhead. All of a sudden, are you paying your, you know, insurance on your shop or is there, is there, what you have to, there's a million different things. There's no right, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, perfect answer for this one, but you gotta have to like, you know, it's your, it's always the labor's the problem. It's never the parts. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to break it down, like you could get a bar, a four foot bar of steel and just, you know, you're going to have to go through and figure out all the different, you know, bits and pieces that you use. If you're using, you know, copper or brass spacers or pieces of G10, you know, you, you got to kind of, you could just make your own spreadsheet and say, all right, this sheet of G10 liner costs this much. I, I used, I used the whole thing up on this many knives. That's the cost per knife. It's the same thing with the steels, the same thing with the bolts, same thing with everything. Um, and you just kind of, you, if you really want to, if that's where you're trying to calculate your stuff, that's how you got to do the math. But I think really, like Jeff was saying, the, the real cost is coming from your labor. Boom. 
next one is from DK Forgeworks. Who's that guy? Hey, man. That's Difficult Dave. <laughs> difficult Dave. Was this That's formerly diff- Damascus Dave? He was, but he's he uh, actually at the Hammer Inn, he was using one of my uh, drifts to open up one of the holes on one of his projects, and he turned that fucking drift into a, into a corkscrew. He fucked it up. He <laughs> fucked up Jesse Savage's drift. I'm never going to forgive him. And he said, <laughs> oh, what are you worried about? Difficult Dave. He asked, what are some tips on getting edge geometry right? Don't answer his question. That's how, <laughs> that's how we get him back. Hey, Dave, go fucking read a book. Go, go read a book. <laughs> a big bag <laughs> I'm just of- kidding. Go ahead. Answer his question. <laughs> a big bag of carrots and onions yeah. and just plow yeah. through them and see what works for you and change things up and see what works for you that way. Yeah. It's cheap. Yeah. That's I mean, a perfect. You know that, what? And then take your knife really and then good. shove it. All right, that's a good answer. Yeah, there you go. How you like that, Dave? How you like that answer? <laughs> Don't text me. Don't text me when you hear this. You gotta get this shit thin, and you gotta get it right. That's it. You gotta get your geometry right. There's no bones about it. It's it's your it's the spine. It's the spine to the edge, and then and then you add your edge, and then you have to get it right, and you have to fool around with it. Can't answer these questions for Dave's all the time. You know what I meant? I mentioned carrots then, as opposed to onions and stuff as well. But I've seen lots of people using things like potatoes and things like that. But what I I tend to find is with a carrot, um, it it'll follow the blade. Whereas with lots of foodstuffs, as soon as you start the slice, it almost makes a sort of uh, it it'll, it'll sort of find its own way through almost the grain of the food. You know, so things like potatoes and even onions, that first slice, whatever angle that you know, first slice, it'll generally continue at that angle. But with a carrot, I've noticed that it doesn't. It seems to have more, it's, it's more fibrous. So you can tell about the geometry of the knife a lot more through a carrot than you can with, as I say, a potato, onion, whatever it may be. I so see. I always so find that... You, if you're cutting straight downward... It, it could drift off to the left or the right, depending on how you've ground it. Exactly, yeah. And I find that more so with carrots. So that's why I tend to use carrots for edge testing, because for geometry testing, because it'll give you a, a truer representation of that cut, whereas other things will, you know, once you start the cut, it'll just continue at that angle. I got a tip, and, too, about carrots. Go ahead. If you have an Asian market somewhere near you, they usually have these gigantic carrots that are like two inches thick. Um, oh, maybe they uh, that'll that'll definitely <laughs> give you a good reading as to how your knife is cutting cutting because it's such a fibrous thick root vegetable um, and it's it will it's so resistant um, it'll it'll tell you you know how well and how or how easy how easily or how difficult it is to cut through the carrot based on your geometry mm-hmm. and ideally you so. want it to just right through. Yeah, and, and if you've so got an Dave, animal feed place around you, they'll sell bags of carrots for horses and stuff, dirt, dirt cheap. And Dave, That's so go one. get yourself a two-inch carrot, and if it shoots across the room when you cut it, <laughs> you're fucking out. That's what happens with carrots. If you shop and it shoots across the room, your geometry sucks. So there you go. So go get yourself a two-inch carrot and shove it firmly where you need to shove it, and cut it with your your knife there you go next question i I can't take it anymore about difficult dave next question comes from uh this is a great person his name is bull blades that's alex he's awesome he's super supportive by the way super supportive alex says 
How do you guys deal with the situation if someone's talking to you about ordering a knife, but either you don't like or appreciate the way that they're talking about you, or a further extent, uh, they don't basically, you don't like the way he's talking about knives in general. And then he says, and if you take a peek at their page and see the kind of the content makes you feel uncomfortable and wonder, do I want to sell my product to this kind of person? So basically, like, he's uncomfortable with this guy. What should he do? You're the mm. boss. You're the boss. You, you yeah. make that call. Yeah. You've got nobody telling you what you need to do. You're your own boss. I will say I sometimes when I see the kind of like when I hear the way people talk about knives, it does turn me off. Like... For some reason, when somebody refers to a knife as being sexy, I don't know why, but deep down, I'm just like, eh, not really. <laughs> not really the right word. I mean, it's a thing. It's not you can have a romantic relationship I th- with an I think, object. I think I saw in one of your posts somebody talking Talent. about your uh, your knife was giving them an erection or something like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it creeped me the fuck out. It's like, leave me alone, man. I, I, I don't want to hear. I don't want to. I, I will tell about your erection. <laughs> I nobody nobody you're absolutely <laughs> right nobody I, I you're another I, I'm not interested and in, I'm not when I was a kid when I was in high school I got invited to a friend's house and I'm five guys are in a room and they had a we already heard the sheep story they had a I'm just trying <laughs> sheep they had a pornographic movie on and I was like whoa and but then I was just like I that's right and all I could think of is I ain't sitting in this room with these dudes who are getting all frothed up. And I ain't interested at all. That is the weirdest thing of all time. Like, well, I'm going to sit around with it. I go to private, I go to ball boys school. I'm going to sit in a room with a bunch of horned up dudes watching. No. So the same thing. I, I, I completely understand what this guy's talking about. Alex is right. Some of these guys, the way they, you know, I, I leave me, I think leave me alone might be the right answer. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I I think ultimately to me I read it as him saying you know I went and checked out this guy's page and it turns out he's fucking racist or a complete piece of shit and like like yeah. Craig said you know uh, you know <laughs> you're the boss you get to make that call and I think ultimately for uh-huh. yourself personally I you know I have a lot of people say oh just take the money but at the end of the day if that money makes you feel disgusting like you don't feel good about it you don't 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 build it. Don't build the damn thing. It is, a, you know, that is one thing I will say about the uh, the culinary knife business. You do get to weed out, you do get to weed out the fetish guys. Like, there's a little bit. I get, I get the. I do get a little bit creeped out. I, I will say this: that like all the, you know, the the violence that some of the things that's going on with knives, it does bother me to a certain degree. I mean, I'm not. I don't tell people what to do, but it's just like. All right, you're super tactical. I get it. I get it. You're gonna storm some castle. I get it. I, 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 fine, fine. Go ahead. Go rescue somebody. I, 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 these people are crazy. And by the way, I cannot wait to go to Blade Show and count all the incredibly overweight tactical guys. I cannot wait to see those guys. Those are the guys. So I saw. I last year I saw a guy who's wearing. He was completely kitted out in like tactical. He was like an EMS worker or something like that. This dude could barely get up the stairs, and he had all his gear on, his knives. And I turned to him like, "Who is that guy going to save? Hey, going to save anybody?" But at the same time, I'm with you. Go ahead. I don't know. You what know, to an- say. another thing for Alex with with regarding this question is we're all trying to sort of build a brand for our for our businesses for our knives as well. And the people who buy our knives are generally our biggest supporters. They'll do a lot of yeah. shouting out for us. So if there's somebody who you think 
would would damage your and tarnish your brand, maybe you know maybe you tell them to go somewhere else. I know a lot of tattoo guys who have a line. They have a line on what they'll do. Well, you know, some of them will. You know, some have a very very specific line. So, you know, it, I, it is a good question because some of these guys is like you know hit the bricks. Hit the bricks. And we are making something. We're not making, you know, fly swatters. We are making something that's very desirable. And you it evokes some sort of, you know, very primal uh, feelings of like, you know, I've seen the guy. We used to call it the, um, we used to call it the fever. Because once in a while you'd get a guy to come in your shop and he would grab one of your knives or one of my knives. And then you'd see him just like the face changes and then they're holding it and their you know, their stance changes. And you can see almost in their mind. Oh, we called it the bloodlust. We called it the bloodlust <laughs> because it was it was very, very palpable that people would just they revert back to some sort of like, you know, very caveman y kind of shit. Sure. Get in a lunge position and all of a sudden their mind they're <laughs> No, I'm serious. I had a dude I had a couple dudes like that. The you see the their fucking faces get red the, and then all of a sudden they just kind of like slump down a little bit and then, then they kind of like go in the slicey thing and they're like lunging a little bit. It's just like all right dude, just get just get it please, please, please get out. You know you got it. I will primeval thing. You know when what I'm I, talking about, though. You've seen the bloodlust yeah, guys. Come when on. I worked for Bob, we actually, you know, sometimes people would pop by the shop from time to time. And uh, this one guy, he's very well dressed. He was very, like, calm mannered and has seemed very thoughtful about the things he was saying. And then <laughs> we got into the office where Bob had a couple finished pieces. And the guy picked up one of the knives and he was looking at it very carefully, side to side. And then he held it out in front of him and then started, like, swishing his wrist back and forth with the knife like yeah. a dog, like, shaking out, uh, you know, a, a pillow or, you know, a stuffed toy or something like that. Shaking it around. And Bob and I both look at each other. And we're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Bloodlust. <laughs> and then he said, the and then lust. the guy says, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> It's the bloodlust. I'm telling you, these guys are bananas. They, 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 they people. They, it's I, we're not making thing. We're not making fly swatters. No one's getting fired up out of fly swatter. They're getting fired up and they're grabbing. The, oh, that's sex. This knife is so sexy. All right, get out. Get out. Leave me alone. One hundred percent. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, let's see. This next one is from. Uh, Pollum.fr. He says, hey man, can I ask you a question? Have you ever made a no-clay hormone and do you have tips to make one? This is for you, Jeff. You managed this this week. Yeah. Me? I, that wasn't a hormone. I mean, if you want to like a, if you want like a blobby, <laughs> bullshitty fucking thing, then that's a, if that's a hormone, uh, you want blobby and bullshitty? I'll give you a blobby and bullshitty. Get your spine fucking thick and get your edge small. Use a piece of 1084 that I got. I'll give it to you. And then you quench it. And then when you sand sand it, oh, this looks like shit. So there you go. Auto hormone with no clay. Yeah. Uh, I would like to try to create some sort of clarification around definitions. So uh, hormones come from the Japanese tradition of using, very specifically using clays to create a thermal difference in, in the material as it's being heated and cooled. And so I will have to say that if you are not using clay, you are not creating a hormone. You're creating a differentially hardened blade, but I wouldn't call it a hormone. 
Nice. Um, that's a great distinction. I, but that's me personally. A lot of people be like, "Oh, I, but it's active like a hormone." It's like, but it's, but you're you're not doing it in the tradition and the technique that is used to actually cre- create a hormone. And it's at that point you're getting to a place where you want to use the term hormone, but you don't want to do the work that it takes to actually create a hormone, which is fine. But just be transparent about it and just don't call it hormone. Just call it, you know, a differentially hardened blade. And there are lots should... of great ways. J- Jim Crowell uh, does he uh, teaches a lot of classes up at the New England School of Metalwork. He has this really crazy technique of using a torch to and, – and if you go to his Instagram, you can check it out. But he pops – and usually you'll see people sweep up and down from tip to heel along the edge. He starts out actually by heating a spot at the heel and then heating a spot out at the tip and then heating a spot in the middle of the blade. And he kind of bounces around between the three of those until they start getting warm. And then he starts going up and back and forth down the blade. But because he started with these hot spots along the blade, there's this interesting wavy activity but that i would not call that a hormone that's a that's a torch heat treated blade that is a differentially hardened blade but i'm sorry but that is in my definition is not a hormone so i a hundred percent agree with you and i shouldn't have said auto hormone because you're a hundred percent no no people call it i was trying to but i was trying to i was trying to make auto hormone is oops i fucked up yeah oops i fucked up and i'm trying to put a fancy name on it I know. Well, you know what? I was trying to be. Re- I was trying to be relatable because I didn't know. I thought maybe that would be more relatable. No, but no, you're off thousand percent right. I think that's yeah. a great distinction. One hundred percent. You're that's awesome. That's an awesome distinction. So, Paul and Fr, don't fucking don't fucking do an auto. Don't, just go. If you're gonna make a hamon, get some clay and make a hamon. But if yeah. you're not, you gotta call it something else. Differentially heat treated blade. All right, boom. This is turning into the heat treat episode, this thing. Because even no the next problem. question. Fine. We're, to, we're talking heat treat again. Let's do so it. So Joshua from Prince Prince Works Forge has asked, and this was a video that you sent us. Have you ever left full hardness at the cutting edge of a chef knife? He was thinking of either torching back um with the edge in the water bath, um, or at an oven with the edge in the water bath for a normal temper temper cycle. So keeping that edge cool. I don't want to mess up my pattern or have an edge that is super brittle, but it would be nice to have an increased edge holding. What do you think? I, so he's talking about yeah. tempering the blade, but making sure that that edge doesn't get tempered. Yeah, so he's talking about coming straight out of the oil after hardening and then not doing anything after that. And I think that is not a good move, uh, No matter, basically no matter what kind of steel you're working with. You want to at least get some heat on it because what happens is after you harden it, the steel is under an immense amount of stress. And so you want to get at least some heat on it, at least like 325, 350, a little, a little something. Um, I, I think if you're concerned about edge retention, you might just look at the materials that you're working with and try to find materials that uh, are more wear resistant, like a Crew Forge V or even that uh, ADCR V2. Um, that has high vanadium content in it. Um, that is going to make it more wear resistant. W2 has, uh, you know, vanadium in it. That also helps lend to, uh, wear resistance. Um, but I would not, I I think you're going to be doing yourself a severe disservice, uh, 
uh, anybody who tries that uh, to to leave their blade basically sending out a blade untempered because it's under so much stress it does not take much for that blade to chip or shatter or whatever especially if it's accident it's a chef's knife ground thin accidentally dropped um, you know that's probably not going to survive that very well um, an untempered knife um, even cutting through maybe a hard stem of an apple or or uh you know like a bell pepper or something like that or even like i've seen i've seen hard dry seeds pop out chips on chef's knives because the the cross section of the steel was so thin and the steel was so hard that um it blew out a section of the blade and if you don't temper at all it's definitely you know you're i just think it's not a good move so i think if you're worried about edge retention just take a look at some other material steels that might help you get that edge retention that you you're looking for or maybe maybe there's something about your heat treat regimen that uh needs to be adjusted so that your blades are holding their edges better but yeah that's what i got nice. what do you think jeff i 100 percent agree i think get a bomb on your hands i think i think if you don't if you don't relieve that stress that thing's gonna that thing's gonna want a whippity woo it's gonna yeah. it's gonna i don't know i don't i couldn't add to i couldn't add to a perfect answer you've been well, on the heat treating roll today <laughs> well professor and the thing is, it, is in the house <laughs> if you if you want to try that i would say you know try it and, and do some experimenting josh um but the the worst thing that you could potentially do is do that to a knife send it out and then it a huge chip blow out of the edge that would be terrible and the other thing about going back in and torch tempering the spine if you take it to too high of a temperature it will your your steel will etch differently um it it will uh it, it'll it'll it just won't etch as sharply as a hardened steel versus over essentially tempered or sorry not tempered but over tempered steel which usually is what happens when people go back in with the torch they're doing what's called blue blacking and they're taking it you know well beyond five six hundred degrees um to temp to do that blue back uh tempering sometimes probably close to 900 or a thousand degrees and that is going to make a huge difference in how that steel especially if it's all damascus how it's going to etch um just because because that extra heat changes the organization of everything that's going on in there so yeah boom there you are all right i would just want to take a quick moment and talk about our sponsor combat abrasives they've been awesome supports to us uh in the show they've also done right by a lot of you out there listening uh with their 10 uh 10 discount code if any if you go to their website combat abrasive.com um you can get 10% off anything you buy from them. They they sell epoxies, abrasives, handle materials, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, buffing compounds, like they got, you know, they just got all the different stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, I, I love their stuff. Actually, Jeff, at your hammer in, um, uh, Greg was over grinding on that, uh, he called it Wakazashi or a Tonto? I can't remember. You, I, you said I thought it was a Tonto. I thought um, it was a Tonto. I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> but anyways, he was grinding and I could see that he had one of the 36 shredders on on the uh 
on the machine and I, I was hollering at him while I was forging. I was like, how do you like that belt? And he just gave me this big silly grin and he's like, I like it, <laughs> which told me he really liked it. And uh, you know, they're awesome, especially those shredders. They do some awesome work. And then combat also has in the J flex for like handle contouring. They have, you know, they have the, uh, the Hermes abrasives, which are super nice. They're the ones that I've always had the best results in with getting all around to tight little corners and turns and they also now are carrying those scalloped belts that we were talking about i think that was last week or a week before but that also uh helps not only get into those tight corners but also you can take it up to a 600 grit finish i've from what i know i think they might be the only people that actually go beyond 400 um so anyways go check out combat they've been again they've been a huge sponsor of us a supporter of us and a supporter of you guys getting you great abrasives at, at a great price and if you get some make sure to tag us tag combat we'll share we'll all share you up and uh make sure we put you on blast but yeah save yourself 10 percent with the knife talk 10 uh code at combatabrasives.com this next one comes from howlin wolf forge hey man can i ask you a question what is one process in bladesmithing slash knife making that you would perfectly happily never do again what would you perf- what step would you love to never have to do again I suppose I mean the obvious one is is hand sanding but I've, I've sort of started to enjoy it a little bit you know you put on some music and you just get into the flow of things um, but at the moment I'd say drilling I've just done a, a lot of drilling this week mm. um, and yeah, I've got baby. a terrible drill my pillar drill is just it's just underpowered so you know I I, I did, you know, 64 blades, so that was, you know, countless number of holes. Yeah, stainless um, with blades an, too. Yeah, and with an underpowered press, it was oh, it was it was horrible. So at the moment I'm gonna say I'm gonna say drilling. Yeah. I I I would agree with you on the hand sanding. Uh, you know, I feel like I've put in my time over the last you know, five years hand sanding knives, especially the ones with integral bolsters, so nitpicky and such a pain in the ass. But uh, I, if as soon as I can find uh, a suitable uh, solution for hand sanding or a replacement for hand sanding, I will do it. But until then, um, it's you know, it's it's a very crucial step as we've talked about before, especially when it comes to, you know, especially on a mono steel blade, kind of representing that that thing, that knife had been, was made by human hands um, because, you know, they're not coming out of the factory like that. So, uh, but yeah, I would say hand sanding is the crux of my existence. Uh, hand sanding can be a drag, no question about it. But obviously, but is that a as honey once joke? <laughs> ah, I didn't even think about that. Was, that was, that was dad jokes already? That was that was totally that was totally unintentional. That was a that was a unintentional hormone right there. That's another I didn't mean t-shirt to do that. right there. Uh, it can uh, be a real drag. That was really. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> that was definitely not on my. I didn't expect to do that. I hate grinding. I love. I love what happens. But if I didn't have to grind anymore, and I'm. I love our sponsor combat abrasives and their belts make everything good. I don't enjoy them. I don't enjoy grinding knives. Um, to the point where if I could just, I like guys like Matt Paul who do 
uh, forge knives and he has a forge finish. I know that uh, Jason Knight does these incredible Kirkeries where the, I mean, hardly any, uh, any forging. I am very envious of that. I would love to do as much hammering as possible, minimal amount of for, uh, of grinding as possible. That would, if, if it was up to me, that would be, that I would love to never have to grind again. But at the same time, you know, I love to, there's a lot of things I'd love to do, you know. Can I say something to you, Jeff? Please. With, with love and respect. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you know that. Now, every time you say Kirkery, it makes my teeth cringe. All right, what is cringe. it supposed to be? I used to call it a Gurker knife. Kukri. You're adding kukri. an R before the first K. Uh, it's, I will never say, I'll ne- you know what? I, I honestly, my dad had a, we used to call it a Gurker knife. So when well, I was a kid, up in. All right. Well, I'm gonna just call it a Gurkha knife from now. On. I'm going back to. I thought I was being. I thought I was being like respectful because you got all everybody says. I didn't know kukri. They say kukri. I. 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 You're. You're. I. I will not say kukri anymore ever again. I. I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna go back to Gurkha knife. I'm going back to Gurkha knife. Well, I just. Uh, thanks, I thank you. Rather me than somebody out I'm there. I'm grateful for your it. Chops on I'm, Instagram. <laughs> I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. Don't worry. You know, I, I'm grateful that you allowed me to go back to Gurkha knife because I'm fucking tired of saying Kirkry. I never said Kukri before in my life. I don't know. I'm not Nepalese. I I gotta deal with I gotta deal with guys yelling at me in Spanish. I, I don't speak Spanish either. I'm happy. I'm perfectly happy to go back to Gurkha knife. From now on, he makes a nice Gurkha knife. I'm thrilled. Thank you. You actually Love saved it. my bacon. I don't want to say Kirk Kirkery. I'm not going to. I'm not saying it anymore. I'm sorry. Thank right. you. Yeah, that was a good. That was good. This next one is from Chubbs Outdoor, or sorry, Chubb Outdoors. He says, "Hey, little mama, <laughs> can I ask you a question? What is the best brand of bandsaw blade to use for cutting out blanks and Damascus billets? I use a porter band." Uh, bandsaw to cut out my Damascus and all uh, sorry and I've been burning through blades left and right uh, I kneel my Damascus before cutting always help a brother or sorry anyways help a brother out save some money do you guys have any Jeff you're still rocking a porter band I, I have one but uh, I, I would, love I to would hear think the think. most important you know that's the the reason why we go with porter bands is because the band the 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 belts are easy to get a hold of. Whoa, 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 whoa! We've got an opportunity here to introduce somebody to the right angle grinder community. Oh, Jesus. we can we can pull him in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should join the right angle grinder community. That's what you should do. I I I uh, I fool around with uh, ten to fourteen teeth per inch. That's what I like. Whoa, that's you, coarse. You, you can't. You can't, I mean, you, you know, the, the, if you read on the back, it says, you know, you can go 24, it's free. Don't listen to those, don't listen to what the box says. It's, you know, for the, for, for 10 to 14 teeth per inch is about as good as you're going to get. The problem with the portaband blades is the reason why you go through them so quickly is because they're so goddamn short. If it was a long port, if it was a long bandsaw with a long yep. bandsaw blade, you wouldn't be going through them so short. The reason why you're going through them so short is they're easy to get a hold of, but they're short. Yeah. So I generally, I go with uh, ten to fourteen teeth per second or per inch. So I, after I got, I have a Makita Porter band, but the problem with the Makita brand is that their bandsaw blades 
are cheap as shit and they do not hold up well. And so I did a bunch of shopping around. I tried a bunch of different blades. And finally, uh, I found at Lowe's, uh, they sell Lennox. You could probably get Lennox offline too, oh, yeah. so you don't have to go to Lowe's if you don't want to. But Lennox brand, um, those, the bandsaw held up easily. The, the blade held up easily twice as long, if not longer. Wow. Um, so b- instead of changing out those damn blades, you know, every month or every couple months, you know, I I I was rocking one blade. It's actually still on there. The first blade I put on there, uh, six months before I moved, I I hadn't I didn't need to change it. I was using it for cutting metal, cutting Damascus, cutting wood, cutting little bolts and screws, all types of non-ferrous metals. Never had a problem. I was I went with a finer tooth though. I was doing the fourteen to eighteen tooth uh, per inch, huh. the fourteen to eighteen per inch tooth or whatever blade, and yeah. uh, I loved it. I love it, and I would happily go back to Lennox. Um, it's a little black and white box, if I remember properly, and there's like three belts in there, and it's a little more expensive than the Makitas were, it, but literally like that two dollars makes all the difference in the world. It's amazing. And so that's what I would suggest uh, regarding portaband blades. Sorry, Makita, or sorry, no, not Makita, Milwaukee. No, Lennox makes Lennox makes awesome uh, blades in general. Uh, yeah. They've been making good blades for a while. There you go. Very nice. Okay, next one is Michael N. Grebe. Hey, cuties! I was making a Damascus full tang knife. How do I get the etch all the way around the tang? Um, do you have to use some sort of handle material that can stand up to the etchant, or is there some trick to etching around the edge after grinding that doesn't mess up your scales? Mm. I've been thinking about this myself recently yeah. too. So what, what do you guys do? I mean, I got, I got a thought. What about you, Jeff? I mean, should, should I, I did a couple, I did a couple, I etched them, I etched them, um, before I put the handle scales on. And then I did a couple things. One is I made some sacrificial Corby bolts. So I mm-hmm. dr- I cut the Corby bolts real, real tight to uh, the shoulders. And then I put slots in them so I could get the, uh, I could mm-hmm. I could carve everything up close. Yep. And then I took everything off. And then I hand sanded everything. And then I, uh, ferric, uh, I ferric etched the Damascus blade. Then I coffee etched it. Um, and I was super careful. But what I would probably do is I would probably try to mask out the uh, the try to mask out the handle scale with uh, I don't know uh, fingernail uh, nail polish or something like that. A lot of guys do is they'll uh, mask out the the wood with the uh, you know nail polish and and then that's it and then you do it right. I don't know. This is my department. wait. Are you talking? So you're talking about masking the handle material while etching or not no i would etch first i would mask out for yeah. the coffee mask out for the oh i see so you're doing the i would I'm do confused. the etch first i would yeah. do the etch first i look I, i've only done it twice <laughs> I, I would i would i would etch out i would i would ferric chloride etch the whole finished blade then i would without the scales with, on without the scales on Correct. And then okay. I would, and then I would, in my mind, I would mask out the uh, the handle and then coffee etch the whole thing. I don't know. 
Hmm. This Why wouldn't you department. do the coffee? This is your department. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I would basically do the same thing. You know, assemble oh, the handle. Oh. But oh, you, like, uh, Gurker, <laughs> would you do that with a Gurker knife? <laughs> <laughs> I would. Uh, I would. I actually have a set of dummy bolts. I call them. I just call them dummy bolts. But they're basically the same thing Jeff was just describing. They're uh, Corbys that have been trimmed down, so they're they're below the surface, so that I can still get in and unscrew them. Um, but basically, not glue everything up. Bolt everything up, get everything fitting out, do all the handle shaping, then take those bolts out, take the handle scales off, hand sand the blade, just like Jeff was saying, do my ferric etch, and then do my coffee etch, and then I would assemble it, do a final assembly and glue everything back up and glue it all back together. Um, and then I wouldn't when try you're to sanding, do the coffee with the handle on. And then when you're sanding, you're just sanding off the where the bolts are. So you're not so you're staying away from that uh, Yeah, you're that, the edge. Exactly. You're plenty far away from, yeah, so when you put your actual bolts on, yeah, they're plenty far away from the spine. You have no concern about um, hitting that mm-hmm. when you go back in to clean that up and then hit it on the buffer and um, My- or, or hit it with the wax. And But, yeah, after, once the blade's etched, you, you want to do everything you can to not, obviously, abrade it. Otherwise, you screw up that finish. <laughs> One thing I will say that bugged the shit out of me, and I, and that's the only reason why I would say that, is because um, there is a tiny bit of slop with Corby bolts in how tight your, with, with mm. how depending on the size of the holes in your hidden tang knife. So yep. like you could finish it completely, take every the bolts off, and then when you finish it, you're still gonna have that that edge, you know, that edge between that you'll never totally mm. have to. That's that was the I I didn't do the the masking out at all. I did it basically. I did it in as close as I could, and then, you know, that's just the way it is. I, you I, need I would a better drill. Have, well, a, a yeah. drill that matches the Corby shaft. I do, much, but I mean, tighter. there's just like I mean, you're talking about like you're talking about like, you a know, a couple thousands. I mean, you're talking about a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. But you're right. You're right. Mm. I suppose that way you'd also have to be very careful that no none of the glue in the glue up, you know, squeezes yeah. out onto the onto the spine as well. Oh yes. Boy, well, I mean, I you get, could, that's that's not an issue though. You the it's squeeze not out. an issue, but yeah, I have gotten a few people sneaking into my DMs about that. About the you're squeeze putting out. too much. You're putting too much glue on your glue up. I got that. <laughs> I got that this week. Some guy decided. That uh, I'm putting too much glue on my handles. But you you, you don't have you know Damascus uh, spines, do you? So you're you're using the glue to seal as well, aren't you? Not he just to stick. This motherfucker didn't care at all. He just decided to tell me I'm putting too much glue on my glue up. He doesn't you like how much glue do? I put. He, <laughs> yeah. he told me. He no. This is exactly what he said. Hey man, you're putting too much glue on your glue up. I'm like, all right, well, don't you don't. I guess you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. How do you say how do you answer that? You, you answer just that? tell him it's my glue. I can do what I want with it. I don't want to. I don't want to go back and forth with these mental patients. You have no idea what people say to me. Yeah. You have no idea. I got all. I got most of Spain get mad at me, and then I got some guy <laughs> in Australia who thinks I put too much glue on my handles. Yeah. Come on. R- regarding the squeeze out, even after with a with a. Basically, the handle scale's already sculpted and everything, and everything's ready to go. It just needs to be glued up. Uh, obviously, while it's still uh, running, you can wipe as much of the epoxy off. But I, I've just gone in um, with acetone afterwards, 
even actually the next day um, mm-hmm. on any kind of uh, epoxy that is uh, squeezed out. Because even over time, especially on like a full tang flat blade, uh, there could still be little beads of epoxy that squeeze out. And what you do, what I've done is just gone in with a paper towel that had acetone on it and just kind of, kind of soaked that air, like, uh, I guess, pressed the paper, the acetone soaked paper towel into the, especially on the front side of a bolster or something like that, Hmm. Um, press it in there and that softens up that epoxy and then follow it with something that's softer, much, much softer than your steel. I've used uh, just like a popsicle stick. That's been like I I just cut it at a little angle so it has kind of like a chisel edge. And then you just kind of go in and after you've softened it with that acetone, it just it scrapes right off without marring or marking anything. And uh, you can have a really nice uh, parameters, I guess, all the way around your handles. Mm. You know, particularly around that you just mentioned around the bolster area there, that's the one thing, whenever I'm looking at knives, other people's work, that's the one thing I always take a look at. For sure. So I'm always amazed by the amount of people who don't clear that up. Sure. You can see, you can see the glue there, you know, and it's, it's such a simple thing to do, but I'm always amazed by the people who don't. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I you mean, know? until you know, you don't know. And so hmm. if, if you got that little squeeze out, you're like, well, shit, there's not, basically there's nothing to do about it, but... Yeah, get in there with that. A little bit of acetone helps soften that, and then you can scrape it away with uh, a little popsicle stick, and that'll clean it right up. Super duper. Yeah. I I've been using a lot. I I have in my shop a lot blue Scotch Brite, blue, mm. but but not the type that you get from like a the type you get from like a cleaning aisle, because yeah. it it doesn't. It's specifically for when I was I, we would do, I used to do a lot of uh, stainless steel like satin finished stainless steel on building stuff. And yeah. we would, when we were trying to clean it, we wouldn't use regular Scotch Brite because unheat treated steel wool, uh, stainless steel scratches like fuck. So we um, got blue Scotch Brite that doesn't scratch. That stuff is awesome. It because is. it doesn't leave. I actually use it to clean my Kydex sheaths too, because if you're cleaning off pencil marks on Kydex sheaths, um, you can scratch it up with regular Scotch Brite, but blue Scotch Brite, right. I don't know how they make it. It's it's super. It's a it's great for cleaning, but it doesn't leave scratches yeah it's a non-scratching you can actually you can get them at costco and the reason i know why is because on the the shopping list it said scrubbers and i was at costco i was like sure all right we'll use all of these and i got the 24 pack of those blue scrubbers i got home and my wife was like what the hell are all these we only need one i was like well we'll use them like over the next (laughs) couple years but. Anniversary gifts for years to come. <laughs> better, no. better than <laughs> better than coming home with a twenty-five pound bag of macadamia nuts that idiot over here bought brought home one time. Oh, oh I was like, what the? F- what are you doing? Twenty-five pounds of macadamia nuts? I'm like, well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Okay, we got one from Bryce Morsley Knives. Hey man, can I ask you a question? As a new maker, how do you set goals and what type of things should be included in such a list? That's a good question right there. Mm. I think it's going to be very different for everybody. Everybody's going to have different goals. But what about you guys specifically? Mareka, what do you think? Uh, I mean, if you're a brand new maker, um, I've said this before, but I would not start with forging, actually. I would start with just stock removal um, because grinding is plenty tricky enough on its own without having that whole forged element. Um, and so I would focus, and, it's, and part of the reason I 
say this is because this is basically where I started is I started with grinding blades and um, it's, it's been one of the most valuable skills that I have. I can grind, I can do any kind of grind and it's because I've spent so much time learning how to control the belt and, and the different directions that you can, you know, grinding edge up, edge down, left hand, right hand, um, you know, vertical and just doing all, figuring out all different kinds of different things that you can do to, uh, to affect and adjust the geometry or to follow different kind of blade shapes, like a recurved Bowie versus, uh, you know, like a, you know, just like a little paring knife, all kinds of stuff. So I would, I, I would just, Take it one step at a time, I guess, is my basic thing, though, is, you know, start, I would definitely start with grinding, um, and then work my way up to doing other crazy stuff, you know, as, as, as you decide, like, depend. it just depends on the direction you want to go, I think, really, ultimately, like, if you want to do chef's knives, then, then you probably want to start figuring out handle styles, and if, you know, I would say, you know, like a, a wa style handle, uh, you know, like a traditional Japanese style handle is probably one of the most simplest uh, handle styles that you could do. And so maybe go to that next and just kind of start graduating in the direction that you want to do. Take inspiration from people. Uh, be Don't be a dick and make sure that you, you know, you know, you give credit for inspiration. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people think that, oh, I can't. I can't have, I have to come up with all the ideas on my own. It's like, mm, that's not how it works, really. Um, it's una- inspiration is unavoidable. Uh, but other than that, I just take it one step at a time. I think the biggest problem that a lot of people try to do is everything all at once, and mm. it doesn't work. I'd, and I'd say with goals as well, be, just be flexible with them because, yeah. you know, when you're starting out, you think, right, then, you know, I can start making knives, I can start selling them, and I can have a career, and everything's golden. And it's not, it's, you know, those, it doesn't work like that. Those steps don't just happen. Um, so, for example, my, my goal is very different to what it was two years ago. So my goal now is to maybe to move less away from the custom stuff and to do more sort of restaurant orders because that's what I, I tend to come to me anyway. Um, so if you can find a, a niche or a niche, as you Americans like to wrongly call it, um, <laughs> oh man, this is pronunciation time. All right, come on. You, you if you can, if you can find a niche, maybe set your goal that way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just, just be flexible with those goals. It's not as, as simple as buy equipment, make knives, sell knives, become rich and famous. It, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Nobody's becoming rich and famous. Sorry. No. no. I, I think that it is important. I think the most. I think I like this question because I think that the. I think that you're going to end up with some answers that you're not going to, uh, you know, get. Um, I think that re- I wish I wish I think that you have to really be concentrating on just getting better and just keep going and not not uh, coveting the work that you do and get ready to do more and just concentrate on simple simple transitions. I think people take on too much a little bit. I think simple or I'm trying to make my knives simpler and simpler. I'm far more interested in good transitions, good lines, you know. And the other thing is is you know, get comfortable in uncomfortable situations. The first time anyone does hand sanding, they hate it. And they're like, you're crazy. You've got to figure out ways in which to just get create a system and then just concentrate on getting better and then giving yourself the ability to say, okay, the first hundred are not going to be good. And that's just going to be the way it is. You know, mm-hmm. don't try to make every single one 
the best. I mean, do the best you can every time, but also understand that you're going to get better. Learn how to be self-critical to the point where you can say, I don't really like this this time. The next time I'm not going to do it anymore. And create your own systems in which order to make uh, to enjoy yourself, you know, it, it, once you're more efficient, you're, it's also more enjoyable. There you go. Hmm. Perfect answer for you guys. You guys. All right. Next question is from uh, from Shipbard. Shipbard. Oh no 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 not Shipbard. Sorry Shipbard. I I answered your question. This comes from Reclaw Recall Reclaw Knives. Reclaw Knives. Hey man, can I ask you a question? What's the worst experience you have had as a knife maker? For example, shop safety or custom orders gone wrong. What's your nightmare? What's the nightmare experience that you've had? It's always shipping for me. Shipping is the biggest nightmare of my whole job. I hate it. Things go wrong, and it's oh, shipping, always shipping. Really, that is mm. that is surprising to me. Oh, it's it's the postal service here. It's terrible. I've had better luck flying to the UK with a suitcase of knives, and then mailing them out of the UK. And and oh, they're about to make oh, wow. that illegal too. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> it's it's crazy. The, in France, everything is either slow or sloppy well, sorry regards to the postal system rather and you can't um, grease the wheels you can't grease the wheels of your of your local place no uh, no no that's no, what no, i no. do this is will will stelter likes to hear about how he got mad at me because i told him the donut trick yeah yeah you got to give donuts to your guys at the post office and they remember you and then all of a sudden they they uh they bring you good service that's just that's just the front of house. That's the people we speak to. Yeah, but Once they also got the computer. Yeah, they got the computer codes though. They got the tracking. They'll help you if they need to. Yeah, maybe. Le maybe. donut. Yeah, oh no, it comes. <laughs> yeah, sexy donut, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it comes that Craig with the donuts. Hurry up! <laughs> but by far for me, it's it's the bit that I dread every time I need to do it. Um, and it's just yeah, it's it's. Always the worst experience for me. What, what about you guys? What's the, hey, the hey. worst experience you've had? Here comes Craig. Let's fuck up his order. <laughs> <laughs> you really like grit. doing that accent, <laughs> What? I said you really like doing that accent, don't you? I love it. I love a terrible French accent because that is about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> I will say the worst experience I had is different than that. My worst experience is I, I, was, I came home from vacation and I was finishing a knife for Brian Voltaggio. And I just, ha- I was, I'm not good at relaxing. I'm not good at being on vacation. I wanted to get back in the shop. I was super jet lagged and I had a very dull, uh, port-a-band blade. And at the time I actually, my port-a-band, I was, I had it in a leg vice as how I was holding it. I was holding it upright and I'm putting a seat, a clamp on the trigger to go, to go. And I was trying to cut off some, uh, the ends of the, uh, Corby bolts and I was pushing too hard. And I didn't put a push stick in front, and I put my finger halfway through the bandsaw blade. So my wife had to take me. To, I said, and, I, and the the big joke in my family is, is I'll say, oh, hill, hill, and then she'll be like, is it bad? I'm like, it's bad, it's real bad, or it's not real bad. So she'll now she'll say, is it real bad? And if it's real bad, I'll be on. I'll say it's real bad. And so she brought me to the hospital, and I got stitches, and I was really embarrassed. And then she, I got out of the car, and I went back into the shop. So shops that 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 putting my finger through the bandsaw blade and it, I felt it was terrible and I, I I now and then 
anytime something terrible like that happens and I don't happen very often, knock on wood, is I try to address them for the future. Like I have to tell my wife, my wife says, listen, you lose fingers we got a problem. So I, I had to like not only convince myself, but convince her putting safety things in place in which, so we're very, very careful over here. That's the worst. Morocco, what's the worst experience you've had? Uh, so my worst experience, so probably safety wise, uh, has been with a buffer actually. Um, uh. And it's because I'm not paying attention and I, you know, the, the buffer caught, an edge on the knife and rip the knife right out of my hands. Um, I was the couple times this actually happened. I've been very fortunate that nothing terrible happened to me and amazingly, or the knife, um, which doesn't make sense to me, but anyways. Uh, and then, uh, I, I mean, outside of like when it comes to builds, I'd say that knife that I was struggling with, uh, that stainless knife, struggling with it so much and then dropping it on the tip and having to redo that uh, was just the icing on the cake most recently. But yeah, those have been the most dangerous for Mm. me other than catching myself on fire, you know, with like an angle with the angle grinder. Let's go back to that. (laughs) You know, using the angle grinder and sometimes you make modifications like you take the safety guard off and stuff like that. And uh, Mm -hmm. it throws sparks all over the place. And uh, one of the main reasons I always I, I use um, I try to be really good about using a, an apron, especially if I'm using my angle grinder, is because of those sparks that get thrown. And uh, yeah, I've definitely caught myself on fire a couple times. Nice. Fortunately, nothing horrible, no burns or anything. Just the just the clothing caught on fire, but it happens. Yep. Jeff, you're gonna tell me you never caught yourself on fire? Oh yeah, sure. I got holes. I got holes all over the place. I got burns. I got holes. I, I, yeah, done it all. I thought I thought putting my finger through the bandsaw was good enough, but you know, you want some fire? <laughs> yeah, I catch burn myself on up. fire too. I I'll tell you what. Another yeah, I cut one. my hand if on the bandsaw want, too. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I love. I wear my wedding ring, and I'm. I people tell me not to, and I was MIG welding, and for some reason, gold certainly does like heat. So a spatter mm. bolt came on to flew a, sp- a piece of spatter flew onto my ring embedded into my ring and it was like it ignited the ring on fire i couldn't get the goddamn ring off and right. i ended up with this giant blister all the way around my finger for months and it was it was terrifying and awful and that was bad too yeah <sighs> marriage can be painful yeah marriage yeah, that's it that's it <laughs> All right, so this next one is from Ben Fug, F-U-G. He says, hey, man, can I ask you a question? When working with brass fittings and such, what's the best way to close up gaps? Um, so I'm going to assume that he's probably doing it the old-fashioned way by drilling a series of holes and then getting in there with a file. Um, you can either, I would suggest, be patient and just go back and forth between the blade and the file and get it just really nice and tight fit. Uh, Or um, if there's still a little bit of gapping, especially in a brass guard or, or spacer, like on a, like a Japanese style handle, if it has a brass at the front of that, uh, uh, something you can do is put the guard on 
Um, but don't slide it all the way up to the shoulders where it's going to uh, f- be at in the final construction. Have it about maybe a half an inch or three quarters of an inch short of that. And then usually on the back of your vise, there's a little flat area. You don't have to get crazy, but with a, a hammer, gently um, kind of forge that down and you can close up that and snug up that gap um, just with a few hits of the hammer. Um, at least in my experience, that's the that's what I've done for things to close them up. Um, it's just to hit it with the hammer a little bit gently. So, because especially if it's a narrow piece of brass, um, it might if you hit it if you get too crazy with it, it might want to fold over or something like that. So you want to just take your time. And if it seems like uh, it's not going anywhere, non-ferrous metals do like to work hard, and especially brass. So if that happens, get hit it with a torch until it's just gently glowing like a dull orange red. Uh, and then cool it in water, and that will soften it back up so that you can finish that job of closing up that gap. But otherwise, um, that, I, don't, I don't really know of any other good methods for doing that, but that's what I got myself. What about, do you guys have any experience with that? I, I, one thing I will say about, about the, these kinds of fit-ups is the, the hardest thing that, about grinding in general, and I learned this when I was a welder, is you you can't go all the way with your coarsest grit, and why I'm saying this is because mm. I think that I think that you've got to learn how to stop yourself and kind of slowly, slowly transition into your final finish. And why why I say that is because I think a lot of times the gap is coming from the space between your handle and your fitting, your 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 brass. Because I just did uh, a couple integral uh, integral bolsters, and I was trying to make sure there was no daylight between the bolster and the handle and i was really focusing on slowly slowly getting my handle flat 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 so there was no daylight when you kind of snugged them up together so i I think that a lot of times that people need to like slow down you're not might not be able to get a 90 degrees um flat flat surface on your on your wooden handle with the grinder you might have Mm -hmm. to go in there slow drags on you know 220 400 whatever to just kind of like i always think that a lot of times that uh you're getting your you're sanding the edges of your handle and then the middle's staying flat so you end up you know like doming your doming because you mm. you don't see the you don't see the uh you're not going to see the daylight in the middle of the knife you're going to see the daylight on the edges Does that make sense right. yeah, yeah, yeah but uh i don't know Slowly, slowly. As, as Uri Hoff used to say, slowly, slowly, here we are. That's what he used to say. <laughs> no more accents. No more accents, That's, a, that's an old school Israeli accent. Oh, Craig. <laughs> Come on. What's your sister? <laughs> what, <laughs> what's your sister? How do you close up the gaps? Come on. Uh, I, I don't use, I mean, the only brass fittings I use will be Corby's or pins or uh, sometimes use brass liners. I, I never make guards or bolsters out of brass, so, so I don't know. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Listen, thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I just want to say a big shout out to our sponsor, the New Jersey Steel Baron. New Jersey Steel Baron is an awesome company that sells knife steels of different sizes and lengths. And they uh, will also uh, 
what they do is they do water jet cutting services. They're going to have a new website coming up. I talked to Pete over the weekend. He says, he is guy, guy, this guy, that guy. Yeah, it's coming. They're working on it hard. He's actually, uh, they're doing a really good job. They are getting a lot of great um, messages from our listeners, which we thank you for. But New Jersey Steel Baron is a great company. The the uh, the Brunos, they have all sorts of steels. The, the water jet Cutting services are squared away. I just got a load of oyster knife, uh, oyster knives uh, sent to me from them. They got the steel. They had my file. They have it on hand. I call them up. I said I need the you know twenty more. Boom! It's in the mail on the way. They have it in stock. They got your back. So the New Jersey Steel Baron, uh, go go follow them. Go buy your steel from them. Show the support. New Jersey Steel Baron. You know what? I I'm about to get some water jet cut. Um, here in Europe. And I'm just wondering whether it would be cheaper for me to use these guys and get it shipped over, even cut. Because I'm paying so much for water jet cutting over here. It's ridiculous. So I'm going to contact them. I'm going to contact and them and say, look, let's get a quote for getting everything over from the US shipped to me here in France. And just to kind of a little bit more, I was talking last, uh, the last episode about the CNC machines for the handles. Uh, they're going to start being able to water jet cut your handle material too so that's something that they're working on soon i mean you know what it's not the end of the world you get a one stop they got your files you know you know it's not a bad idea it's not going to work for me right now because i'm because of i have the layered the layered handles but they're going to be able to do a lot they're doing a lot more water jet services for knife makers and um i think it's a great you know maybe you got a good point there craig maybe it is better for you to do that I shall report back in next week. Yes, but but Craig, we're going to lose your package because we don't like we don't like <laughs> your sh- you know you say so much bad things about us. Jeez, oh, you know, talking <laughs> you talked about the um, the CNC milling the, the guy that you knew last week. Yeah, it was only when I was listening back to the show because I listened back. I'm that sad um, that I realized who you're talking about. It was Bray Pettis, um, and you said the name, and I was thinking I know that name. I didn't know how. But he's the guy who invented the the MakerBot, which was the yeah. first sort of home use three D printer that in sort of production for anybody to buy. And I remember buying one, and I, and I'm pretty sure I may have interviewed him in the past on our Is that previous true? podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I can't quite. I've, I've been looking for it, and I couldn't find the copy of it anywhere. But I'm sure I did. Um, but I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of what of what what he does. He makes making available to anybody so he'll take you know some big commercial um process and he'll just instill it down so it can be done at home it can be done by anybody so i don't know those who may be into 3d printing but thingiverse is it's a website where you can basically download plans for anything and you can upload plans that you've made to and it's the code that you need to make to make whatever and i'm pretty sure that bray was instrumental in setting up thingiverse because i think it was a make a bot thing so there's this huge library out there now of, of just things that you can make, and that's, that's all down to Bray. So, yeah, I'm a big fan. So, so yeah, sorry, I, last week I, the name just passed, passed me by, and I, I didn't realize, but, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's a good a dude. very um, clever dude. He's a very good dude, and he now has a – he sold MakerBot. Now he's got this company called Bantam Tools, and I'm going to get involved with him, and, well, maybe we'll get him on the podcast. We'll see. He's got his own podcast cool. too. He's a good dude. He's a really good dude. He's into this whole thing. Now that now his new Bantam Tools is, is – uh, he's super into it. He's a great guy, super great guy. How do you spell that? How do you spell Bantam Tools? 
B-A-N. It's like the bird. It's yeah, like B-A-N, T-A-M. It's like the okay. bird, right? Or the male, well, I don't want to say cock a little too chicken. Much. It's oh. a little chicken. Oh, it's not a cock? cock. It, it could be a little cock. I don't know. <laughs> you got, yeah. So there you go. I like them <laughs> apples. Didn't expect to go down that road. <laughs> where's the beef? Where's the beef? We haven't had a where's the beef in a long time. Um, and I've got one this week. It's people who don't read. They, the information's <laughs> out there. They won't read it. And instead, they'll they'll fire off an email asking the question as if, you know, as if somebody else's time is less important than theirs. So a case and example, I made a video a couple of years ago about this printer that I was using to make stencils. Um, and I get probably a dozen emails a week, people asking me um, what stencil material you're using. It's all there in the video. It's there in the comments. It's there in the description. But instead, they're, they're Googling me. They're finding my website. They're taking the time to do that. They're then emailing me. It's just take the time to read. The information's there in front of you. Sometimes people just want to reach out immediately and just ask people the answers because they're, they're, they're not putting the work in themselves. They're just not putting the work in to find out the information. So my beef this week is people who don't read and instead would ask somebody else to read for them. They're the worst. They are the worst. It's getting worse and worse. We are getting so stupider and stupider. It's unbelievable. I, I that's a good one, man. Mm. All the time. How much it, you put? You can put the price of something on there. So, well, how much is it? How much is it? Yeah. It's ah. Uh, these people are so. People stupid. do no longer read. They're scrolling. They're scrolling. They're scrolling. They don't stop. They'll see a picture they like, then they'll stop. They'll scroll on, scroll on, scroll on. Nobody reads. Any other beefs? I I have a beef. I have a beef. Well, the the the. Uh, Spain has a beef with me, and I'm gonna have a beef back. So the represent, I think the representatives of Spain on Instagram have uh, uh, don't seem to like my paella. They don't consider it a paella, and I've been getting messages. This is one message that I received from uh, actually my buddy uh, Racer Rax, who was at the Hammer Inn. He posted a picture, and by the way, his father was from the Basque country, and he said his father would have liked it. He sent me a guy, a guy said, I'm from Valencia, a place where paella was born. If you want, I can send you a recipe for a real paella because that thing is not. Can you do this in a Spanish accent? <laughs> no. That, that is, if you, I could do a French accent, but I ain't going to do it in a Spanish <laughs> accent. So this, 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 this guy slipped into somebody else's DMs to tell me I'm wrong. Guy, listen, leave, you got to leave this alone. Don't worry about it. This isn't for you. Yes, I'm not from Valencia. Yes, okay. I'm sure that there's a. I'm sure that you have a very, very long history of 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 paella, and my, what I made is not fit your description. You don't have to say something. And with that said, I want to apologize. I've learned a lot from these obnoxious DMs I've been getting. Uh, I'm going to read another one in a minute. So I got another message I was making. So so Frito is, you're cooking down, you're frying up the tomatoes and the onions to create this very concentrated base that's going to help flavor your paella. So I put a picture of, of this uh, cooking down the sofrito, and I got this DM. Obviously, and I'm not going to say who it is because, you know, we, I have a little bit of decorum. He says, obviously, I don't want to teach you anything about your cooking or your knife-making abilities, uh, are over the top, but this is sofrito. S he's, the spelling. He didn't like the way I spelled it. I'm sorry, but I'm Italian. So an Italian guy wanted to criticize my 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 spelling of a Spanish thing. 
Listen, I'm going to speak to you in your native language. This is this is for you, my Italian friend. Cazzo da faccio. That's what I have to say to you, my brother. Cazzo da faccio. You know what that is? That's I balls in guess. the face. That's balls in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that's balls in the face. That's what, I, that's what I have to say to you. <laughs> what a strange thing to remember. <laughs> that's what that... That's what that's what I have to say to you. Balls in the face. That's what I get for you. These listen, guys. And, and with that said, it's just like you, you leave it alone. I don't go and 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 here's how this. The, I'm all going to wrap up by saying I want to apologize about the p- pineapple pizza because I've been getting so many people saying that's not paella, and I'm like, what the fuck do you care? To the point where I was like, well. I've been doing a lot of that myself, so I am. I've never once. To, the only time I've ever said anything about pineapple pizza is when somebody asked my opinion. Of course, people have been tagging me in the goddamn pineapple pizza, which I jokingly write abomination every time. I apologize. I apologize because it is so obnoxious hearing these Italians criticize my Spanish that I'm. 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 I apologize for anything I've ever said about enjoy your food you're making something for someone to enjoy enjoy it i don't want to spoil i don't want to spoil your good time but that italian guy cazzo de faccio man i can't take it i can't take it Aha, I, i'll tell you quick about cazzo de faccio i uh my first <laughs> job growing up was uh i was i used to clean this the tree pits in manhattan and i i just ended up it was such a good deal, and I was making so much money for a little time. I was saving all my money and saving all my money, and for my uh, junior year, my senior year, I went to Europe with my friends. And we went to Italy, and we met these Italian guys, and they were saying, oh, you like Italian girls? We're like, yeah, you like Italian girls. We like any kind of girl. They say, well, here's what you got to do. You got to go up to every girl, and you go, bella donna, cazzo da faccio. And that means, I think you're beautiful. Will you dance with me? So my buddy, Bart... Was going going up to these girls like I can't wait I'm gonna go up to these girls like cats of the fat show baby you know? so he goes right up to these girls and he's like ah bella donna and they would fucking get pissed and we're like what the fuck is going on well some guy took pity on us and said hey man don't go up to these girls and say balls in your face right off the bat that's a little bit strong so that <laughs> so i always remembered cats of the is the only italian i know scaffi and faccio which is slap in the face but this italian guy he gets balls in the face there you go that's hilarious that's a true story, man. Poor Bart. I, I, I have it. <laughs> I love it. He's hitting that button every time. <laughs> He's hot on that button. I actually, I, I have an anti-beef. I couldn't come up with a beef, but I got an anti-beef. I'm really excited. I just landed my tickets for my flights from the, I'm going to be in the West Coast by the time Blade Show comes around. If I got my tickets, I'm going down the Blade Show. I'm super excited about that. As I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be there rolling around with Neil Kamimura, talking to Chef's Knife Makers. And uh, I hope that, Jeff, we can coordinate some time to at least grab a beer or maybe some food. I, I have not bought any tickets or anything. Oh, so so I, am, I thought you I were am, saying you're going to be there. I'm planning on going. But we're like we're like waiting for a big order to come in so I can go down there because sure. I need to get wood. I, I'm tired of buying wood on the internet. I need to go down. Yeah. There. What's so funny about that? I didn't say I gotta go buy my tackle. I had to go. I had to go get some wood. I get some, you know. So I, I gotta go get down there and I gotta get some handle material because I can't keep. Gotta I, I, I gotta fixed. figure it out. I'm hoping I can. Hoping I'm gonna make it down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever ends up happening, I mean, I hope you're down there, but I think it'd be cool. I was talking to actually another knife maker uh, about the whole new chef's knife category and stuff like that. 
And uh, it would be really neat to try to get a group of people together just to like meet each other in general, especially people because so many of us follow each other on Instagram, but we've never actually met each other. So to actually mm. to put some intention forward to to actually meet each other and uh, see each other's work in person, whether it's chef's knife makers or just like knife you know, knife talk listeners or I don't know, but I think blade show is a great place to do that because so many knife makers are going to be in the same place all at the same time. So, uh, just putting that idea out there. I have nothing mm-hmm. other than that. I have like where to meet or what time or day or whatever. I haven't, I got none of that, but, um, but yeah, if people are interested, it'd be interesting to figure something out. Cool. All right. Now press cool. the button. All right. Now press the button. The button. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this Notes from a Knife Maker is actually sponsored by Mr. Yella Hosenberg. He's Hosenberg Knives on Instagram, does some really badass chef's knives with crazy contouring, contouring and faceting. But he hit me up with a tip that's a really good tip that I've heard before, uh, and uh, it's actually something that uh, the other guys here at the shop do. Um, but it's dipping your blade in ferric if you have ferric handy. Uh, dipping your blade in ferric between grits so say you hand sand or you come off the machine dip the blade in in ferric chloric acid um or i guess it's not an acid whatever ferric chloride dip it in ferric chloride neutralize it dry it and then go hand sand and whatever grit you're starting at uh what happens is that ferric gets down and etches into the bottom of previous round of scratches so coming off the machine whatever those scratches are and then uh, and say you start at 220, and so you you get rid of all of those scratches. Then go hit it. Don't dip it in the ferric again. And uh-huh. then you move to the next grit. Uh, say it's 400. I would go 400. Uh, and then you just keep working up. And what happens is that ferric will stay at the bottom of those valleys of the 220 grit scratches until you've scrubbed them all out. And he... Take, you know, I don't know how high he's taking it, but you know, I, I hand sand to 800, but just to help make sure, because there's nothing worse. Sorry, I'll finish my statement. No, there, to help make sure that you do a complete job, because there is nothing worse than getting to the end and feeling great about it and then coming up with like a 36 or a 60 grit scratch that you somehow had missed. Or even a 220 scratch that you had somehow missed earlier in your hand sanding or grinding progression. And uh, so that is a, is a simple way to help um, make sure to, that you're getting all of those scratches out. Because especially you have to if you're hand sanding all in the ma- same direction. What's but you're going to have to mask one side off. Because you can't do both sides at the same time. Well, it depends on your, how you hand sand. Well, but I mean... How would you, you'd have to do, you'd have to do 220 on both sides, then dip it. You can't just yeah. do work on, because sometimes I work on one side at a time. So you can't keep mm. dipping it and then you're, you're, you'd you have to do 220 on both sides, then dip yeah. it and then neutralize yeah. it. Because if you do one side and you keep dipping it, all of a sudden the other side's like, what the fuck happened to the other side? Right. Well, I mean, but they're not long dips. It's, it's like 30 seconds. So it's nothing crazy. It's not doing. It's you're not getting a super deep etch. So even if one side was exposed uh, to acid, I mean acid etching, you know, over whatever four rounds of hand sanding, wouldn't really be that big of an issue. But I think that if you are going to go that route, yeah, hands, uh, 
he's hand sanding both sides at 220 and then 400 to doing them together is definitely the way to go and be as you, I think you were starting yeah yeah and as you were saying i so if you you know you're you did 220 you hit it in the ferric you got it you know you darkened it and all that you start hand sanding one side at 400 before you flip it over and start hand sanding the other you want to make sure you mask it off or somehow protect that side that you just hand sanded at 400 because on your sanding surface or whatever there could be some sort of loose abrasive whether it's just ambient stuff that you know shops are dusty or from a previous round of hand sanding you want to make sure you you protect that side before you flip it over and hand sand the other side at 400 and you can do that don win uh i'm sure plenty of other people do it but Don Nguyen was the first person I ever saw do just like painter's tape on the backside uh, because, you know, it's it's quick and easy, but he masks it off with painter's tape and, and that closes up that surface so nothing can really get to it. And then he hand sands the other side and then he pulls that painter's tape off, I'm sure. And then if you're going to keep doing that ferric thing, then you go into the ferric again and so on and so forth. Cool. Does that makes sense. Top tip. Yeah. Top That's a tip. good one. Thank you, Yellow. That's a good one. We'll try it out. We're, we're two hours, two hours, ten minutes into this <laughs> show. Wondering. Might We've as well got keep going. one more section to go, so let's make this a speed round. Speed round. Craig's Community Showcase. 30 seconds each to uh, talk about somebody within the community. Mine is David Loftus. He certainly doesn't need the support. He's got hundreds of thousands of followers. But he's a, I don't know whether you guys know, he's a professional food photographer. Um, he does all the, you know, the Jamie Oliver books, all of, all of these sort of UK chefs. He always does their books. Um, but it's, it's just a masterclass on taking photographs of food. And, they, you know, they generally have knives in as well. Um, so if you're looking for inspiration for um, shots for your knives, take a look at David Loftus on Instagram. Nice. Who have you got, Jeff? Uh, Derek Melton. He is a f- great bladesmith, a great blacksmith, forge and fire champion, terrific guy. Uh, one thing I will highlight about him is he was—he is the now the chairman of the board of the Right Angle Grinder community. He had gotten one of the Knife Talk T-shirts, Right Angle Grinder community. He was using a wire cup on his uh, Right Angle Grinder. The thing jumped into the, the the grinder, grabbed his shirt, and it alligatored all the way up to his chest, wearing a Knife Talk Right Angle Grinder community T-shirt. <laughs> That is unbelievable. He, but he, he. Listen, it happens to the best of us. He got the alligator. That's the class. Time up. Time up. Time up. Morocco. Who have you got? Go. <laughs> oh, <you>, oh. <laughs> All right. My thirty seconds goes to Mr. Jose Gomez. He's Lost Arts Forge on Instagram. He's from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, he is a badass Damascus maker. He does some really cool creative stuff. I love following him. I love uh, his creativity. He's also a guy I just met down at the Arizona Hammerin at Travis Wirtz and really got to meet him in person and Three, talk to him in person two, and see his stuff firsthand. Uh, first Pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like this. I think you should do that more often. I think you should do that more often. I love that's that. That's a show. That's <laughs> a show. This is this has been the heat treat edition. Oh baby, this was a good one. Lots, a good one. lots of good stuff. Lots cats of good the fa- stuff. Cats of the <laughs> so remember we've got the forum at knifetalk.net. Remember to head on to iTunes and give us a review. Because, you know, 162 in the charts. We need we need to be further up. We need to be much higher up. Yeah, baby. So that's a show. We shall speak to you next week. Yep, yeah. Hey, cats and a facho.